It's time to turn out the lights, grab some popcorn, and watch some horror movies. This is the Terrible Terror Podcast. Each episode, I delve into the world of horror movies. Why do I do it? Well, I can't really explain it, but I love these horrifying flicks. If you made a horror movie on your phone, or made your own special effects MacGyver style, please send it my way. Now, what do you get when you want to reboot a franchise that has already had two fantastic films in it? Why you get Hellboy. Why, hello, everybody. Wow, that ended a little more abrupt than I thought it did originally. But uh, welcome to another episode of the Terrible Terror Podcast. And I'm back this episode, and we're looking at something a lot more recent. And something that, you know what, I decided that it was actually kind of a good deal, especially since we're dealing with, you know, things going to hell, being in hell, related to hell all month long. Though I did find out about a Thanksgiving horror movie that I could have done, uh, but that was a recent release as part of like Hulu's like dark films or whatever they're calling it currently. So I'll have to check that out and see if it's something that I can add. Maybe it'll be a nice film for next year. But nonetheless, I still want to continue on with the theme and don't do like a uh, immediate swap on you guys. Because I really do want to do the last film that I'm doing for this month. And then we're going to get into some uh, festive type of Christmas movies. So... We'll see what happens. Um, But yeah, so there's a couple disclaimers right off the bat that I want to talk about when I'm talking about this movie. Um, And of course, the movie that we're talking about this week is 2019's Hellboy. Now, first disclaimer, and I know I say this a lot, and I really want to get it out there right now. These clips can be long. I'm just going to say it. Because this was a hard film to be like, I want to break down certain things And there is a lot of disposition, and you'll find out kind of like my feelings why. Um, I don't really want to get into it right now, but it causes everything to be longer than it needs to be. Let's just say that. The second thing is, I'm trying to do this without comparing it at all to Guillermo del Toro's first two Hellboy movies. Now, the very first Hellboy, uh, I really enjoyed, but I wasn't like, oh my god, I'm so in love with it. The Golden Army, I fucking love. I love that movie to fucking death. Like, it is perfect. Absolutely perfect in my mind. From practical effects, creature designs, uh, to the way that, you know, the whole scene with Ron Perlman as Hellboy um, doing that, like, he's drinking with Abe Sapien and they're singing. Uh, It's fantastic. It's got the right amount of humor. It's got the right amount of, like, scary stuff in it and creature designs and and everything like Guillermo del Toro can do some things a little wrong but for the most part for me he really can't um but the first Hellboy I thought was like it's good and uh, it's really carried by Ron Perlman uh, hands down but honestly I like Doug Jones's take on Abe Sapien more than I like David Hyde Pierce's take on that so with this film I really tried to go into it and like, you know what? I'm just going to throw those things out. 
Um, I'm not going to try to compare David Harbour to Ron Perlman. I don't think that can be really done. I think Ron Perlman really embodies the character. Um, But there are a couple things that I couldn't escape from. One is the look of Hellboy. Um, (laughs) I just like the way that, you know, the makeup was done on Ron Perlman's character better. Uh, You know, especially in the beginning of this movie, like, I thought the suit was, like, falling over on his face. Like, the mask wasn't holding up or the makeup was starting to melt. Um, It just didn't look and feel quite right. I understand it's a different body. It's a different take. Now... The look of him is it. The attitude-wise, I think they're actually, and maybe this is going to sound blasphemous, but I think they're close. Uh, But there are glaring omissions that I think is not necessarily David Harbour's fault, and we'll talk about it as we get through. I think it's the way the character is written in this film versus the way that he was written in Del Toro's movies. And I get it. There are some similarities between the two of them. But overall, I feel like Del Toro really tried to make sure that Hellboy was a much more complete character. Uh, Rather, in this film, I feel that he has moments of brilliance, but then eh, we'll we'll talk about it. What I kind of find as flaws for this version of Hellboy versus the Hellboy that we've seen before. It's really rough. I mean, I, I really wanted to go into this movie straight up like I've never seen it. Um, I know that I'm going to have these things in my back, my mind burning, but I'm going to watch it for what it is. It's if there never was an, another Hellboy before it, and this is the first try at it. That's the way I want to come at this. That's the way I want to think about this because it makes no sense to like take a film franchise that's already been established and be like, oh, it's got to measure up to that. Now, that's not saying that I don't want Del Toro's fucking Hellboy 3. And the thing is, is I kind of got it. I got it in a weird way where kind of Del Toro was going. Like one of the biggest difference right away is that Liz is not in this film. And if you know the Hellboy comics, if you're really into them, and I'm not super into the comics themselves. And I did a little bit of research before while I was doing you know, some of the long pieces of audio and stuff like that. And just trying to read and double dip and hopefully that some of the stuff is retained. Um... Liz is more of like a friend to him, whereas in the Del Toro movies, they made him uh, made her the love interest. And she's even having, spoiler alert, twins in the second film, uh, which it's not something that's really talked about as much or nothing that I can find that like is focused on. Well, she's definitely not having any babies, but I'm not saying that he is not having babies. Uh, I know he ends up with like a witch, I think, at the end of the series. Um but there isn't anything, and if I'm totally wrong, uh, you know, I'm sorry. Uh, like I said, this is stuff like I'm trying to commit to memory uh, because I'm not that type of person that wants to have like every single fucking note up on the screen or up wherever it is. I have stuff to keep me in pace, but they're mostly my notes with the movie. But there are things I want to still know about Hellboy uh, that, you know, so that I can say things like that. Now, this film itself is actually comprised of about uh, three, four different Hellboy movies. One of them, uh, I would definitely be like, eh, the beginning, that's it. Like, basically, it takes stuff from Hellboy in Mexico, uh, Darkness Calls, The Wild Hunt, and The Storm and Fury. Now, The Wild Hunt and The Storm and Fury actually have to deal with the witch Nimune. Um, and it's actually, a lot of this, I'd say, is mostly that. Now, in Mexico, it's the beginning of the movie. Uh, Darkness Calls, 
I don't know exactly where exactly that fits. I think there's some aspects of story that they lifted and they bring into here. Uh, but, the, you know, it's a whole movie on its own. It's maybe a mixture of the, all those different stories. Uh, but I know that they're mostly staying in between those two books, uh, The Wild Hunt and The Storm and the Fury. So if you want to kind of get a graphical representation of this, honestly, you can't. But you can at least read those and you can get more stuff. Now, the one cool thing about this is I was able to actually procure myself a nice little uh, Queen of Blood pop. Out of this whole thing. I think it looks really cool. Um, I'm fucking like pop figure addict. And uh, I could not for the life of me. I can't find a fucking Hellboy to save my life. But I managed to find her. Go figure. So there's a couple of big differences too. Between this film and those other films. Um, besides a lot. Those kind of stand on the loan. But they do hint the whole Hellboy being the bringer of the apocalypse. Right? Where in this we get to kind of explore that story too. Uh, but what I'm saying, the big difference between the two of them is both of those are pretty much PG-13, where this is a hard R. And when I mean hard R, I mean a pretty damn hard R. I was very surprised, especially towards the beginning of the film when something happens and I was like, oh, holy shit. Like, I'm not talking about like, you know, we'll get into this stuff. I, I really want to get like jump right in. But I like to have these little conversations with you guys in the beginning and not just start talking about the movie right away. Um, but, yeah, there was something that happened. I was like, oh, okay, you know, especially the way that it happened. And then there's something else. Um, if you know what I'm talking about, it's still pretty close to the beginning of the film. Uh, that I was like, oh, holy shit. Um, that, <laughs> that makes it a hard R. And the movie, I'm very surprised for what it has in it and the way that it does certain things. It only had a budget of $50 million. Now you say, oh, hey, budget of $50 million, that's a lot. Not for a movie that was as heavily, it seemed, as heavily marketed as this film was. And unfortunately, it only made $44 million out of its $50 million budget. Uh, and when you look at the other films, when you look at something like The Golden Army, for example, The Golden Army had a budget of $85 million. And it was 160.4 million that it brought in, um, which is crazy. The length of these films, too, both the Golden Army and this one both clock in at two hours, where the original Hellboy itself, it clocks in at actually a little over two hours. Um, it's 122 minutes is what it clocks in. So that one's actually probably the longest out of all of them. That one also only had a $66 million budget. So much closer to this one. And that one managed to bring in $99.3 million. So honestly, the first two were box office hits. Where this one, not so much. And it makes me think when we look at this film. Is it because everybody was so determined to be like, I want it like to be del toro's like, version and part of that honestly kept me away from the cinemas uh and i know that paranormal pat he went and saw it and what and he kind of described it in a very good way to me because i asked him about it i said you know well how do you feel about the film when he saw it and i said you know i've never seen it before and i i just don't want to I want to I want to jump into it blind in a way, but the problem is, is there's a couple other podcasts that I've listened to and I've heard their opinions, um, and you know I can see their opinions in this as we're watching it, and so I might as well go ask somebody that I trust, and you know especially when he sees these types of films, uh, and 
asking him, and he's like, you know what? I took it for what it was. He's like, if Pearlman was in the Hellboy, you know, role, I think it would have been a better movie. Like, it seemed like if he was there, I would have probably really enjoyed it. It's not to say I didn't enjoy it, but I would have enjoyed it more. And thinking back on it, I can see where he's coming from with this film. Um, And you know what? That's kind of where I was like, okay, I got to take Pearlman out of my head. I've got to take, I know there's no Liz. I know there's no A.B. Sapien. Just take all of that out of my head so I don't have to worry about it. And let's just, let's go ahead and watch the movie and try to be as blank as possible. But, uh, you know, it's hard not to think about the other films and maybe what could have been done different. But with that mindset, and that's kind of how I want you guys to take it too. If you haven't seen the film, I do kind of recommend that you see it before you listen to the podcast, if you can find it. Um, It's out there. It's available digitally. Is it available to stream for free? I don't know. Um, But it's definitely, I think, worth your time. But at the same time, I feel that... um, I feel you could miss the first, like, 30 minutes of the film. Uh, And I don't normally say things like that right away. But I really do feel that you could miss the first 30 minutes. You could play it on, like, if if you listen to podcasts, like, I know my podcasts are usually super long because I'm fucking long-winded, and I know, I know. But a lot of people may listen to it on two times speed. If you're able to watch the first half and, like, if Netflix was doing that two times speed bullshit, um, I would do that for the first half an hour of the film. Save yourself 30 minutes and you only you get it in 15, that would be great. I think that it would actually help you while watching this film. Other than that, I do think that it's it it garners your attention to watch some of it uh, and to actually see the way they do. Because I will say this off the bat as well. Set design in this movie is fucking amazing and fantastic. They really brought a lot of the world to fucking life. Like, if I have to say the, the practical stuff that's there, and outside of Hellboy somewhat, you know... Um, I'm not saying outside, like, the somewhat of the things outside. No, stuff outside of Hellboy is really good. Looks really great. Uh, especially when we talk about Baba Yaga and her house. That is fucking great. Like, that whole sequence is great. Um, but Hellboy is my only problem when it comes to the look of him. And sometimes he looks great, and sometimes I'm just like... You know, uh, and then a lot of the CGI stuff actually isn't too bad either. So... For what they have had available at $50 million, um, I think it looks great. And I think that stuff, like, you deserve to see. Um, and I think it helps, especially if, you, if you've if you seen the other Hellboys, uh, great. If you haven't, go back and watch them after this one. Um, and, uh, you know, if you really want to continue, though, and you don't want to watch the movie before you listen to this one, it's okay. You don't necessarily have to, but uh, I do encourage it for the most part. So... With that being said, uh, let's go ahead and just jump right into Hellboy. And now, the thing is, is that since we're rebooting a franchise, we need to get a little background on kind of everything. And the biggest thing that we need to get a background on, honestly, and it's going to make a lot of sense as the movie moves on and as we get in towards the final acts of the film, we need to go back to the past. And what a better way than Hellboy's uh, dad... He's going to go here, and he's going to tell us a little bit about the witch. Uh, I always fuck her name, but it's played by Mila Jehovah-Vich, uh, and her interaction with King Arthur. 
The year is 517 AD, known as the Dark Ages, and for fucking good reason. An endless war between the armies of man and the creatures of darkness has raged across Britain. And in retribution for man's injustices to creatures, the immortal witch Vivian Nimue had spread her deadly plague, threatening to wipe mankind off the face of the earth. And so at Pendle Hill, beneath an ancient oak tree, King Arthur, yes, that King Arthur and his powerful wizard Merlin were forced to surrender to Nimue, the Queen of Blood. Well, 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 the great King Arthur comes to Pendle Hill. However, believing man and monster were never meant to live in harmony, Arthur ambushed Nimue. Betrayed by her most trusted witch, denied her. No mortal weapon can harm me. Excalibur. This is no mortal weapon. Pissed off, Nimue unleashed her deadly play. With one swing of his legendary sword, Arthur severed the Blood Queen's head. But even that wasn't enough to stop her. So he had her cut up into pieces, each one locked in a separate casket. This is not over. I am vengeance eternal. No! Sealed with a holy prayer. Only the words from a man of God may break this holy seal. Arthur then ordered his bravest knights to ride off and bury her wretched remains in the far reaches of the land where no one would ever find her. Not even the devil himself. And so the title credits then go ahead and they're displayed on the screen. It's really just the title card. We don't really see anything else about the characters. It's actually kind of nice because it moves the story right along. So that's Hellboy's dad. That's Trevor. I always fuck up. I keep calling the last name like Buttleborn or Butelborn or where the fuck it is. But it's Brutenholm. I believe it's just Broom. That's like the nickname that he gets called. I don't know really. I remember in the first film that it was played by William Hurt. And here it's played by Ian McShane. And honestly, it kind of sounds like that one Orson Welles commercial where he's like trying to sell something. I, I believe it was like, it was either wine or was something, but it sounds like he's got fucking marbles in his mouth the entire, blah, 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 or like he's saying like a hard B. I'll have that buttered toast with the bread berries and blah, blah, blah. Like that type of thing while he's talking there. It's quite like annoying, especially when listening to it with headphones. When you're just watching it, probably in a theater or on your TV, you don't really notice it. But in your headphones, it's like, man, can you fucking lay off the bees, man? Just fucking do it. Or like, are you just coming in at the last possible minute? Look, I'm done fucking filming. I don't need to be in this movie anymore. And I'm just going to be fucking lazy as a motherfucker in it. Because honestly, he's one of the better parts of this whole fucking movie. But in the beginning, you'd be like, oh, God, I, I just don't understand. 
The other thing is fucking Mila Jovovich. So this is the first time in a very long time that at least I can remember that she's been in a movie where she's been the bad guy. I think there was one movie where she was like on an island or something with some other like foreigners down in Brazil or some shit. And she was like a bad guy in that. But fuck if I know what that film is. And I don't really follow Mila Jovovich's career. But she plays the bad lady, the the blood witch here. uh, And she just... She honestly plays pretty terrible, in my opinion. Just the way that she's not, like, super terrible. It's just the voice. This is, honestly, in this scene and in towards the end of the movie, this is the most emotion that Mila Jehovah is going to give you throughout the whole fucking movie. So you better fucking milk it up right here, because everything else that you're going to get for her in the rest of this fucking movie is overacting bullshit. So, and it's going to be overacting, like, fucking wispy-ass voice fucking bullshit. You know, the type of, I'm so evil, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to be over here, and yet my voice is going to sound like I'm whispering at you, though I am angry. Like, that's the way that she fucking does everything. And it's so fucking annoying, and especially when you have to fucking do the audio for the thing, and you're lower than every other motherfucker on the fucking track. Ugh. That's it. That's just podcaster fucking problems. So we see that King Arthur here, he doesn't believe in any type of truce between monster and man. Now, are we led to believe that maybe King Arthur was kind of an asshole? He just saw that we can't live together. Was she supposed to be a saint? But the moment she's getting turned on, she's putting the black plague on everybody. And it's like, okay, well, maybe you weren't as nice of a woman as you thought. But if you were coming there to try to make a truce or at least something, do something about it, it would be like, okay... Why don't we just let this go? You know, instead he's got to go there and he's got to come with his witches. He's got to go there with Merlin. Merlin's going to be like, hey, what's up? I'm going to cast magic while you attack her with your magical sword. Which he does slice off her arm. It's done in kind of like CG. And then he fucking beheads her right there. And she's still talking to him. She's not fucking dead. Which I guess that's great. You also see her blood flow into the tree. So you know that, you know, she's probably going to use that for later. I really, this is where I was like, okay, yes, okay, this definitely gets an R rating. But it gets worse (laughs) as it goes along. Because all this is relatively clean. Like, he slices off the arm, it doesn't like dangle anywhere, just kind of a little bit of blood falls on the ground. Her head gets chopped off, okay, it gets chopped off, but it's not very bloody, it's like relatively quick. It's not like we're watching Hereditary here, and we're going to watch somebody saw off their own head slowly but surely. I get it, you know, this is something that's still got appeal to the mass audiences, and honestly, maybe because this movie had an R rating is the reason why it got such a low box office score, that could be one reason, but, you know, it's still like, oh, cool, okay, so it's gonna be a little bit harder than what I expected it to be. So, from here we go and we see that Hellboy, he's now traveling into Tijuana because he's trying to find one of his drinking buddies or agents that he works with, who has now all of a sudden become a luchador. And you get you get part of this in this scene. You kind of get the running joke that's going to happen throughout the rest of the film. I mean it, son. No drinking, no fighting. Don't cause a scene. Relax, Dad. It's not my first time in Tijuana. Why do you think I'm telling you all this? Ruiz is my friend. I just want to bring him back. Agent Ruiz is not your friend. He's someone you get drunk with. Three weeks ago, we sent Ruiz to investigate a nest of vampires. We haven't heard from him since. I'm on it. A reliable source told me where I can find him. Call me when you have him. I'm not going to call you. Just call me. It's a simple extraction. Get Ruiz out of there and bid adios without making a big mess. 
Again. I got this, Dad. You know me. I have a gentle touch. And so he breaks his fucking phone because he can't turn it off with his regular hand in the right way because it's a touch phone now. And if it was just a flip phone, he could just flip it fucking down and everything could be okay. You'd think if you're going to go through that many fucking phones, because this is the fucking running gag and I'm not going to fucking point it out all the goddamn time. But whenever he goes to turn off a phone, he end a phone call or some shit, he breaks the fucking phone. It's haha funny the first time right here but when it keeps fucking happening i get sick and fucking tired of it it's just why do we need to keep doing this like running gag where it's just kind of like (laughs) okay you know he's saying he's got like a good touch and then he breaks the phone okay that's kind of funny but we keep replaying this thing over fucking over and fucking over and fucking over again and it's fucking ridiculous like come on i get it put a little humor in it but the character himself is honestly He's rather humorous in the comics, too. Like, he's wisecracking. He's that type of guy. So, I don't understand why you have to do these, like, stupid little things and these little bits of, like, quote-unquote comedy that, you know... <sighs> yes, maybe it's to give a little bit of, like, irreverence to the character or something like that, but I just... I don't know if it really necessarily needs to be inside of the film at all. Like, again, I say it's fine like in the beginning i don't want to be like oh hey you guys you have to do it this way but i do feel like it's okay at the beginning of the film for you to do something like this and especially you're being introduced to hellboy right away i think it's okay but when we get to the like other parts of the film just fucking drop it already do something else that's fucking funny you don't need to redo this like three fucking times in the movie do it once and just be done with it So he goes inside this building inside of Tijuana and there happens to be Ruiz over there and he's become a luchador. And so he's beating up one of the guys, he knocks the guy out of the ring, uh, kind of un-luchador-like to be honest with you. And then he sees Hellboy in the audience who is the least conspicuous motherfucker that's there. Like come on dude, you're a big like almost 7 foot tall like demon guy. You got a giant fucking tail, you're all red, you put a hoodie over your face? Really? that's gonna work that's gonna make you blend in with everybody why not just wear a fucking luchador outfit or something like that like go in there grab your fucking you know album from the back that has rocky like a hurricane in spanish in it then fucking bust out of there here you are luchador max here you know or luchador boy i'm here and i've got like these things that look like horns that are coming out of my head but you know i'm a part of the fucking show instead of just walking in there of course somebody that even anybody can fucking remotely recognize you like it's gonna say oh shit it's fucking hellboy here and so ruiz calls him out and tells him that he's gonna kill him and he's like i don't know why so he tries to go into the ring and he tries to fucking reason with him but that's when he figures out that he has now been turned into a vampire ruiz, it's like a talk about this you're a good agent buddy come on come on don't you remember backyard Drinking beers on the porch. We used to play guitar, man. You you'd play all that hippie acoustic crap, and I'd play real music. The hell with this? Hey, I'm sorry, man. Are you okay? Come on. I don't want to hurt you, partner. I know you're in there somewhere. Talk to me. You played the hero, but I really know what is under your mask. Oh, yeah? 
That's all. Let's see what's under yours. Now, before we go any further and we really get into this thing, I do want to say one thing before, and I really wanted to pull the clip of him, like, talking out and being like, oh, yeah, there's Hellboy, the guy that we've got to kill, and the blah, blah, look at him, the devils in, in the audience. I can't really do it because it's all in fucking Spanish. And the one thing that killed me the entire time is that they decided to translate most everything, but it's like... I felt like it was like half-assed translation. Now, my Spanish is not the best in the world. Everybody probably knows that I'm probably one of the few Mexican people in the world that doesn't know how to fucking say it. Like, well, I know how to say some stuff, you know, but not a whole lot of things. I can definitely understand you when you're talking to me. If you have something that you want to say, you know, um, I can get most of it. I can look at things and I can understand it, but I'm not going to say anything back to you. But definitely, I can definitely, uh, you know, figure out what a bad word is or if I know a fucking bad word and I don't know, you know, why they decided to leave it alone. You've got an R-rated fucking movie and you decided out of everything that you're going to translate that you're not going to translate cabron. Like, you're not going to do that. Like, what's the problem? You don't want to put it up there. You want to make sure, oh, if the people that just understood it, I guess you can translate with context and everything like that. But when you add that to the end of a fucking, like, sentence or or just statement that you're doing, you're saying this, like, you're basically emphasizing, like, dumbass, right? Like, idiot, dumbass, whatever. But it's not even fucking up there. It's just like, I'm going to kill you. And he's like, I'm going to kill you, cabron. Like, that's what I'm trying to say here, is that if you translate it, that's what it would be like. I'm going to kill you. It should be, I'm going to, you know, motherfucker, I'm going to kill you. That's kind of what you could do it as. But, you know, the literal thing that you could say is, you know, idiot, I'm going to kill you. Dumbass, I'm going to kill you. Those types of things. But you don't even fucking translate that shit on the screen. I like the way the subtitles were put up there because they're kind of like comic book style. They're just kind of all over the screen. But I don't agree that they... <laughs> You should have just left it off, and or whatever it is. So, of course, his buddy then turns to a vampire. Everybody, you know, they start leaving the building. And there's a, as you heard it there in that clip, there's also jokes on fucking jokes here. You know, the way that he's talking, it's so ridiculous. Like, David Harbour does, I think he still does a decent job as fucking Hellboy. But sometimes he's just a little bit too dry, even in the, like, sarcastic delivery that he does at some points in this movie. And here, it kind of is showcased there. So, they fight. The referee that's there, he pulls out a cross. He starts, like, distracting the vampire version of Ruiz here. And eventually, Hellboy picks him up, throws him, and he impales him through the chest on the end of the ring, therefore killing his friend. And before his friend actually dies, he's like, wait, I know who you are. And he gives him the name of the destroyer, or the destroyer of the world, the bringer of the apocalypse, is what he tells him what he is. So, of course, this leaves Hellboy really distraught, and so he does the best thing that he knows how to do, and that's go get fucking drunk. Hellboy. No, it's Josh. People confuse us all the time. Come on, we gotta go. How'd you find me? Twitter. You don't exactly blend. Look, sorry about Ruiz, but we gotta take you back. You can try. Hey, 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 come on, big guy. Easy. We're just following orders. He wants you back. You old man sent you? All he told us is it's important. We need to go. 
Amigo. Bonami. Una badea. They're buying. So there's a couple of things, too, that, you know, in this scene really brings it up. I get it. It's a cultural reference. It's a joke. You know, the whole thing that I kind of said earlier, like, it's not very fucking subtle. Like, you're fucking Hellboy. People know who you are. Ooh, how did you find me? Well, all those people taking videos and everything in the fucking, like, wrestling arena. You see them all with their fucking phones out. Like, they could have said, well, you know, social media. But no, they mentioned Twitter. And there's a lot of things in here whenever they make a joke about something that could just be seen like, well, you know, social media, There's everybody's with their fucking phones out. That's how we found you. They could have just said that. But no, they use a fucking brand name. And they do that constantly in this film. Brand names are fucking dropped all over the goddamn place. Like, it is just not fucking subtle anymore. I understand it, you know, advertising and sponsorship and everything makes the world go fucking round because people are going to go ahead and see it. And, you know, Twitter, they need to get noticed more, I guess, or something like that. So it becomes a line of fucking dialogue in the film. I get it. Or it becomes a billboard or the Coke cup or whatever the fuck it is. But it almost feels like it, they're just saying this thing and it's so blatantly obvious that they're saying the fucking brand name and that they're doing this advertising that it just gets so fucking annoying and like just irks me so much. I know it's something very small and literal. Like you could be, see a bunch of fucking billboards in the movie and be like, oh, or like when you're watching fucking, you know, a reality competition show and they have their fucking cups and it, the, the logo's not showing. And so then like all of a sudden you see them twist that Coke logo towards the screen. George Lucas, like making a piece of flying fruit go into somebody's mouth. I get it. It fucking is stupid and there's nothing to fucking like be all worked up about. But you know what? It just pisses you fucking off because they could have just done something different and something a little easier and not so fucking like like a useless worth of like screen time or or dialogue just say well you know social media people found you they post you like something like that but again it's like a little bit of an irk here so after being told that he's been found out he's now taking a helicopter go back to the bprd where he meets up with his dad after he's done a little bit of a manly grooming see hellboy doesn't like his horns so he's always like filed them down and kept them as close to his face as possible so that way that he doesn't show his demonic nature and he doesn't like he doesn't have that outward look that i guess maybe like scare people or it's also a way of him suppressing what he knows is inside of himself and then you get one of the film's also first like father son moments in the film and it just seems really awkward you missed this spot Ma'am? Hey, Dad. My father used to say shaving was the most important part of the day. Separated the gentleman from the Philistines. Takes a real man to hold a blade against his own throat every day and not cut the jugular. <laughs> Grandpa Brutenholm. He was all teddy bears and rainbows. He was an unrepentant asshole, but he told me how to shave. Like father, like son. Drowning in tequila for three weeks may temporarily numb the pain. All it ever really does is exacerbate your sorrows and the state of your liver. I know you're upset about Agent Ruiz, but it's part of the job. Everyone here knows that. John didn't kill him. I did. And I buried him 16 feet under the earth. 
right by the chapel of the Virgin Guadalupe, you know, just to make it proper. He had become unholy, vampire, a creature of darkness beyond salvation. Creature of darkness beyond salvation? You mean we don't all just deserve a little gentle heart shape every now and then? You're different. You always have been. If my face could talk, it would disagree with you. I think it's a beautiful face. Entonces, el final, este venganto. The end is coming, the end of one. I don't know, those are Ruiz's last words, that, and something about a nung, ong. Didn't ring any bells. Nah, apocalyptic mutterings. Now there, don't you look handsome. I'll take your word for that, Pops. Why'd you bring me back, anyway? Don't tell me it's because you missed me. Do you recall the Osiris Club? Oh, yeah, strip joint in Jersey. Now, the other one, the British Occult Society, formed in 1866 by the ranking members of the Heliopic Brotherhood of Ra. Ra? I met Ra once in the underworld. He was a close talker. You know, like us, they fight against the forces of darkness, and our organizations have a long-standing relationship. They're old friends of mine, and they've requested your assistance with a giant problem. Oh, yeah? What's that? Giants. Ha, ha, ha! Okay, while this scene is very kind of like heartfelt between the two of them and it shows the father-son relationship that the two of them have and there is some like animosity between the two of them because Hellboy isn't necessarily a human but his dad treats him as though he is one and has raised him like one. Yes, he did like give him, you know, a gun instead of Legos when he was a kid and that joke gets made later on. The one thing that I do not like about this version of Hellboy is the fact that he's super whiny. And maybe I'm like, <laughs> I am i don't remember that in the Del Toro ones that much. And there is some in like the whole, you know, Golden Army movie. There's a couple of scenes like that. Like I said, there's the scene that I fucking love where him and Abe Sapien get fucking trashed. And they start singing together in the thing because he is kind of feeling sorry for himself. But that's because he's in love with Liz and maybe because it's more about him like being human in that aspect. Or the fact that Ron Perlman doesn't really portray him as constantly whiny. This character, this version of Hellboy is constantly whining about something. Yes, I get it. You killed your friend. That's okay. But... Everything is is like a woe is me type thing. Like, I can't accept myself. I have to, you know, like, oh, well, you didn't do this thing for me, dad. Like, that type. Like, he's a whiny fucking teenager. Like, a stereotypical fucking teenager. Because I know a lot of teenagers uh, that have been, like, these great fucking people. That aren't these whiny guys. Like, I hate you, mom. I hate you, dad. Like, they aren't those people. They love their fucking parents. And they do what they need to do. And they're stronger than some of the adults I fucking know. But when you look at this fucking Hellboy, it's like... Dude, have you not finished your fucking puberty? I get he's like stuck perpetually as like kind of like a teenager. Like he grew up a lot faster than he needed to because he had to become like this adult really quick in the way that his body grew. He looks like an adult even though he's a fucking teen. It's just that there's so much that's just fucking whiny about him. And I it, here in this scene, it's not that bad because... You realize that a lot of it's stemming from 
the fact that he had to kill his friend, right? And his father, and, you know, even as he walks into this place, he sees, like, all the lists on the wall, that the etching of all the different agents that have died with the BPRD, and his friend is now being etched into that wall. And it really does affect him. And his dad's just like, I get it, you know, we need to move on. Like, his dad's a little bit of a hard ass and stuff like that. And that, you know, you can't wallow in tequila for three fucking weeks. We still got a lot of work we need to fucking do. You know, it's just... Like, here, maybe my point's a little mute. But as the movie moves along, he is constantly fucking like this. All the way up to the end of the fucking movie. And, you know, if you want to tell me I'm wrong, that's great. But I'm pretty sure that we're going to see a couple different scenes where I feel like that gets emphasized. And I don't know if that's because the character is written wrong or if it's being portrayed wrong. Um, and, and the thing is, is that you can have these things like these internal conflicts, but you don't have to act like a fucking teenager when you have these internal conflicts. And I mean... Like, a really stereotypical fucking teenager. You know, not the the stronger ones out there, or the ones that needed to be adults before they were ready to be fucking adults. I, I mean those fucking spoiled, like, stereotypical movie teenagers that you get out of a lot of these other films. That's the way fucking Hellboy acts throughout this whole fucking movie. So, with that... He gets his assignment, and he's going to go to Britain. But meanwhile, we're going to go and be introduced to a new character who's talking to somebody else and finding out that, you know, Hellboy, he needs to pay what he fucking owes. Hellboy stole the life I might have had and banished me into an existence of misery. I now only live to kill him. I too have suffered at Hellboy's hands, so I know your pain. I felt yours, so I summoned you here. I will guide you to a witch, Vivian Nimue. Cut to pieces, but alive and waiting. Restore her. She will make you powerful again, so you can have your vengeance. I thank you. This is not going to be easy. Maybe not, but to be whole again, I can do it. Go now. I, I don't get it. What's in it for you? That is no concern of yours, beast. In the end, I'll have my way, and Hellboy will pay what he owes. So... So, though we don't know who those two characters are, at least right off the bat, what I'm going to tell you is that one of them is Baba Yaga, who happens to be the lady, the old lady that's talking, and she's talking to another character who I've called Pig Boy, because I could never remember his fucking name throughout the whole fucking movie, but apparently it's Gragash, or Gragash, or Pig Fucking Boy. It's Pig Fucking Boy, okay? That's what he's going to be for the rest of the fucking movie. Basically, he's like a giant warthog. But they call him a pig fairy. And he becomes very important to the plot as it moves along. And basically, he wants revenge on Hellboy. And so does Baba Yaga. What I do like about this series, and compared about, like, or not the series, but this particular film, is that in comparison to the movies that Guillermo del Toro did, he tried to, like, start the story. Which is great, because he did the whole story of Rasputin, and we're going to get into that again in a second. 
but the whole thing of like his origin, but they really tried to bring it like, this is the beginning of Hellboy. Like we're going to take all the elements of his universe and we're going to use parts and bits from different pieces of the story, but we're going to kind of create our own thing that the original author, uh, I believe that he was really on board for, but here, since we're taking like different stories, we're placing you directly into um, Niglia's world of Hellboy. And since we're right in the middle of it, everybody's had some type of interaction with him before, which is great. We just, we don't get introduced to anybody really new. They are new to us. But if you have knowledge of the series, you may be more inclined to be like, oh my god, that's that person. And I can't believe it's like the Preacher series that was dropped on TV, you know, in the last couple years. To see Ars face on TV was fucking fantastic. And I can't believe they actually brought that character to life. And somebody that was really big in Hellboy, you know, they might say, oh shit, Baba Yaga, I can't believe they would have ever put her on screen. And here she is, and you actually get to see her. And you know more about her because you're really into the whole backstory of everything. But those that aren't, we get dropped kind of into the whole thing. Or maybe we've only seen the Del Toro movies. You're like, who the fuck is this? But I really do enjoy that the the fact that there are pre-established characters that already dealt with Hellboy before. And we're, you know, even though we're not being introduced into them, we're going into the world with a lot of things already set. You know, I guess maybe that's kind of the thing. I like films and i'm tired of seeing fucking origin stories all the fucking time like even with you know spider-man for example and and this is getting way off tangent but when you watch spider-man the more recent one that that happened uh homecoming he was introduced in civil war so you really didn't get a whole lot about him or any of his backstory i didn't have to watch fucking uncle ben die once a fucking again if i have to watch him die once a fucking again or like every fucking batman even fucking batman versus superman i still had to see fucking batman's parents get fucking killed again why did i need to see that why did i need to experience that for the like fifth fucking time I didn't have to deal with that with Far From Home. I didn't have to, or Homecoming, I should say. Of course, I wouldn't have to deal with it Far From Home because it would be the second movie. But I didn't have to deal with it in Homecoming or Civil War. You know, we know that that exists. That's what I liked about this Hellboy so far. (laughs) And I liked the fact that I was already in a story. And even if I hadn't seen the other films... You know, I don't need to be shown the history or this doesn't have to be the origin of Hellboy. I appreciated Del Toro's movies doing it because that was a part of the larger story. And it even begins that film, his first film, with that, with the finding of Hellboy. And that's great. But a film like this, I feel like you don't necessarily need it. Um... And and I liked at this point that I was not having to go through that bullshit again. So, you know, we know that there's somebody that wants revenge on Hellboy for one reason. We also know that there's another bad guy that wants revenge on Hellboy for a totally different reason. And we're assuming it's because she's missing one of her eyes. And honestly, the practical makeup of Baba Yaga looks great. And especially when we see more of her in a later scene, even though the face doesn't move very well. That is the only downside that I have to say about her like makeup and everything. It looks really disgusting. It looks fantastic. It moves like fucking Michael Keaton's neck in the very first fucking Batman. It barely fucking moves. And when it does, and it truly does, it looks really good. 
but when it doesn't really move, oh god, this is really shitty. So you kind of got the best of World of Worlds here. So from here, we cut back over and we see that Hellboy is on his way to the Osiris Club. No, not the one in New Jersey, though I wish we had had like a stopover there and then went to the one in Britain, if you catch my drift. Um, and we go over to the one that's in Britain and we see he's meeting everybody for the first time. And they're explaining that the club has been around for very long and that his father actually was a part of it at one time. And they do go hunting giants. They take him into a, like a secret room and they bring him to a big room where there's a ton of giant heads all over the wall. And like I said before, the set design on this movie is fantastic. I love looking at all the giant heads. They've all got different types and shapes and sizes and tusks. And it's really, really fucking cool. And then we're introduced to Lady Hatton. And Lady Hatton has to do something that I was so proud of this movie for not fucking doing... But we have to get the Hellboy origin done in the way that this film is doing it. So there's a couple of things here that I want to talk about before we go on. First, you can see a picture on the Terrible Terror Instagram and on the Facebook page of the Nazi 3D sunglasses that one of the guys is wearing. Oh my god, I think it's even on the Twitter. I put it out there too. Uh, so if you haven't seen this film before, please go look at that because it's ridiculous. The second thing is is that this film uh, or clip that we're about to listen to, um, it's cut a little bit. I tried to do a little bit of fade in, fade out because it was like almost five minutes long. Rather than cutting it in two, I cut like a lot of the little action sequences in it. So right when about Lobster Johnson shows up, who happens to be played by Thomas Hayden Church, which surprised the ever-living shit out of me, and I was so excited to be able to see the character and also see uh, him play the character that uh, when he comes in, it cuts a little bit, but then comes back in to continue the rest of the clip and the rest of the origin story for Hellboy. So if you know what it is, you've seen it before, but at least we don't have to deal with those characters once again, though there is one character that's there. He's in the Del Toro uh, version of it. He's the guy that's like all sand and like clockwork. I love that fucking character. I wish we could see more of him in this. But maybe if we had more of these, we might see him later. But anyway, so enjoy the rehash of Hellboy's fucking origins in this film. World War II was coming to an end. Germany was all but defeated. But the Nazis still had one last trick up their sleeve. They turned the infamous necromancer Gregory Rasputin on an island off the coast of Scotland. They gathered to invoke an ancient occult ritual intended to turn the tide of war back in Germany's favor. But something went wrong. The ritual didn't turn out quite as they planned. The often. Fortunately, legendary Nazi hunter, the lobster, arrived. Guten Tag. Here. So the devil knows who sent you. It's in the hoy. For the rest of you goose-stepping bastards, beware my claw, for I have come to inflict justice on all of you. 
Professor Broom and myself were working with the Allies at the time. With his knowledge of the occult and my gift of foresight, we led a secret mission to the island to kill whatever abomination was summoned from the depths of hell that night. Hold it! I'll take it from here. Instead, we found you. So we get to have the origin story of how Hellboy came back to the like our planet or up to Earth or whatever, however you want to say it. And that's Lady Hatton who's fucking given the whole story. And she's the seer of the Osiris Club. She's had a couple of visions about Hellboy and what his future may be. And I believe that it's kind of implied too that she also saw his coming as well. And so she's been helping out Club Osiris with hunting the giants. And it's one of the reasons why uh, Broom, you know, he brought Hellboy and really came to, you know, raise Hellboy as his own. Is when, you know, he first meets him. And I have to say that the CGI and the way that baby Hellboy looks in this film is fucking ridiculous and terrible. Like, they really could have gone to the whole, like, practical route with this one. Just gotten a kid to dress up like him. And I'm not saying just like in Del Toro's, but honestly, when it comes to that, they could have fucking done it. That That's the last comparison I'm going to fucking do. I'm going to try to fucking do in this fucking review. So... You, again, you get another fucking origin story. It's cool to see Rasputin once again, but it's even fucking cooler for the lobster to randomly fucking show up and Thomas Hayden Church just come fucking, you know, shoot motherfuckers and get the rest of them there at the end of the clip. And basically, <laughs> the one that you see is Rasputin gets like the claw image on his head. You know, he tells them that this is branding evil, and he, in Russian, tells them to fuck off. See, they'll subtitle that bullshit, but they won't fucking subtitle Cabron? What the fuck is wrong with these people? Why would you subtitle the fucking language, for, you know, the curse for fuck you in Russian, but not dumbass in fucking Spanish? Ugh, I can't believe these people. Anyway, so... You get that kind of backstory. Then it jumps over and we see Pig Boy and he's going and ransacking a monastery. This monastery is, you know, has been silent for a long, long time. They've taken their vow of silence and they hear the knocking at the door. They get up to the front and it's kind of funny because he's got like a little chalkboard with the one guy and he's like, don't open the door. And the guy unlocks the door and then Pig Boy kicks down the door and it completely flattens and squishes the guy and blood just fucking seeps like everywhere splatters everywhere from underneath the door and i was like oh shit this is getting a little more of a harder r than i thought it was and then he starts ripping everybody else apart and because they won't talk eventually he takes the one boy that was with the other guy downstairs and he finds what he's looking for which contains the head of the blood queen and so he can't speak the words and so he needs the guy that's taken the vow of silence to go ahead and break his vow which he won't do so he tries other means and it's actually one of my favorite scenes in this movie You know only the ways from a man of God can break the seal. Fucking open it! I've got to do everything myself. God, shake! Oh. 
Welcome back, Your Majesty. So he takes the poor kid's tongue out, rips it out of his fuck. He like grabs the bottom of his face and rips his fucking jaw off, pulls out his fucking tongue, then sticks it in his own pig fucking mouth and says the words with his voice. It is honestly a really fucking cool scene and it is a really fucking hard R right there. I was like, holy shit, I can't believe that they're actually doing this. Oh my god, when they said that this was R, this is an R. I love the way that it looked. Uh, it was a little funky when he was on the ground, and like, the, but the little spurt that came out from like his chin area was kind of cool. But I just love the way they did that whole fucking scene. And the fact that like he can't get what he wants, you know what? Then I'm just going to speak like you. And I'm going to use your fucking tongue to do it. And so he's able to open up the case. He's able to get the Blood Queen's you know, head out. And then we fade back over. And we see Hellboy talking to uh, the Club Osiris or whomever the fuck these people are. Uh, right before they're about to go giant hunting. What are we, trick-or-treating or hunting giants? Tradition. To one of the brave huntsmen who come before. And the pig stickers. Another tradition. Used by giant slayers throughout the ages. With a few modern modifications, of course. Five times as potent as an electric chair. Not enough to kill a giant, mind you, but uh, still. Quite handy in subduing the creatures. Would you care for one? That's all right. I got traditions of my own. Oh, God. I don't have to wear the hat, do I? (laughs) No. We're very well aware of your distaste for horns. It's my honor. As master of the hunt to wear the headdress. Mm. And here we are, long shadow. Oh, don't you have a jeep or a motorcycle or something? That wouldn't be very sporting, now would it? He'll bring you home safely. For the record, this wasn't my idea. Okay, so everything so far with this part of the film, him going over to the, you know, Club Osiris or whatever you want to call it, and dealing with all this crap and getting his origin story and all this stuff, while kind of interesting, really is starting to feel like fucking filler. And this is where I'm saying, like, you could skip the first half hour of this movie. Because what point does this have? I I keep thinking about it, and even after I finished the film the first time, and when I went through and grabbed all the audio the second time, I really had to think to myself, what does this serve? It really serves nothing but to... I see, I don't know. Other than that, you know, the Osiris Club here, they house one of the parts of the Blood Witch. We know that much. But they also, because of the whole, like, prophecy of, you know, Hellboy causing Armageddon and all that fucking shit, like, they see that and they, like... They see it differently than everybody else kind of sees it. And in the back of my mind while I'm watching this, and and I'm thinking, man, okay, for the rest of the movie, I feel like it doesn't have any bearings on other parts of the movie. And at the same time, I'm like, these people are going to fucking turn on him. Like, they're going to, that's what's going to happen. Like, they're setting it up so blatantly that they are going to turn on him for some reason. Because they even say, like, start talking about, like, the apocalypse and him and that they were going to go kill the evil. And the father was like, no, I'm going to stop them from doing this shit because I don't believe that it's right. And he changed his mind and he raised you like a son. I'm like, okay, so they think he's evil and that's it. 
right? Like, that's what's going to happen. And, and guess what fucking happens when they're out looking for fucking giants? Oh, they go ahead and they fucking turn on him. Did you really think we needed your help to kill something we've been hunting for centuries? We will never allow the devil to sit on the throne of England and usher in the apocalypse. I must confess, when Lady Hatton first told me about her vision and what needed to be done, I was hesitant. Broom was so certain of your potential and you have done so much good. But fate is a fickle beast. And now? I must do what your father should have done those many years ago. If it's any consolation, your head will make a wonderful addition to our gallery. So there's a couple things before this I do want to talk about. And then, of course, everything that happens here. So they take them out there. They see all the giants, like the bodies kind of lying out there saying... But giants don't leave their food just lying around. All they use humans for is fucking food. So they have a bunch of bodies on the trail. See a bunch of giant footprints everywhere. So that way they, they know they're going the right direction. And eventually they make it to a bridge. And then in the back of my mind I thought... You know, they're searching for giants, not fucking trolls. If they think that this is perfect for an ambush, oh, wait, they're going to be the fucking trolls, and then that's where they're going to attack. Hellboy, and they do. They stab him in the back, and it, like, literally goes through his back and through his chest where his heart would be. Like, they must have, like, impeccable aim, or his heart must be in a different spot of his body. Maybe his heart's in his dick, and I just don't realize that's where demon hearts are. That's why you're supposed to punch a demon in the dick versus, you know, trying to stab him in the chest or something like that. I don't fucking know. But he, like, it, it comes through, and then he's still up, and he fucking fights, and he keeps getting fucking stabbed constantly, and he takes a good five or six amount before they finally restrain him by turning on the fucking electricity stuff, which is what you hear in that scene. And then he even says, when Lady Hatton told me about the apocalypse thing, and you've done so much good, I didn't quite believe her. And I'm like, well, why didn't you just not believe her? Like, his father, and obviously he keeps fighting for fucking mankind. How long has he been fucking at this? And then you're just going to go and fucking kill him anyway, because the glory of the hunt or some other bullshit. But there is no glory in this fucking hunt. You fucking ambushed him. You let him out into the middle of nowhere, and you think that's fucking glory? Fuck you. You know, just, if you're going to do it, just fucking shoot him in the back of the fucking head at some point. Why wait and then decide, oh, we're going to attack, we're going to have fun doing this part of it. Like, it's so fucking ridiculous. That's not fucking honorable, and I'm glad you got your fucking head taken off by one goddamn giant. So, from here, we go over and we see that, uh, you know, the witch, she's there, and she's basically body parts watching TV, and we notice that, well, Pig Boy here is getting all the parts, and he's trying to make himself a witch Voltron. You have no idea. You know, how many I got to kill? I'll have you playing twisted in no time. Sorry, too soon. And soon you shall reap the reward for your efforts. Hey, I didn't know if you'd be hungry or what. You know, a thousand years in a box and I'd be starving. 
You wouldn't believe what people throw away these days. Kuki! Revenge is the only sustenance I require. Look at this. A world ravaged by war and poverty. Led by feckless fear mongers, they've replaced swords with singing competitions. Well, well, not for much longer. What about my other hand? Are you certain you can retrieve it? Yeah, 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 yeah. And, 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 and you'll restore me as you promised. Don't worry, you'll get what's due. Oh, good things. Come to those who wait. <laughs> Bring me the last box. Make me whole again. And together, we will baptize this world in blood. Well, as you can see already, he's already formed the head because he has it there, you know, in his possession. All he needs is the last little arm, and then they can sew her all together, I guess, and so that she can actually move around as normal. Uh, so, it's... <laughs> I don't know what to think about the whole thing. I mean, it, it sounds like, you know, oh, well, she wasn't born in the right generation because they settled everything with swords and everything back in the day, but now it's singing competitions. Like, it's weird, like, knock on current society and reality TV that do we necessarily need? I mean, just because there's a singing competition doesn't necessarily mean that it's a bad fucking thing because Battle of the Bands shit has existed for fucking years, just not on fucking TV. I mean, everything has its time and its place, and if somebody fucking enjoys it, bitch, let her fucking enjoy it. Like, okay, you like sucking blood out of the fucking innocents and virgins. This person likes to watch somebody else battle by singing. Like, what's the difference between the two? You just have bloodlust, this person just loves a good, healthy singing competition. Nothing fucking wrong with that. So... It's just crazy. I guess the whole thing, you know, with her being, like, the leader of the monsters and the underworld and all that shit like that. Like, okay, I get it. And you're like, oh, but but singing competitions. Woo! It's so bad. Like, <laughs> view on society or whatever bullshit you want to say about that. But he, there's also this thing in the back of your mind you're starting to think, like, she's probably using this guy, isn't she? Like, at the same time, like, you, you start thinking about, oh, yes. You're going to get your just rewards, pig boy. Like, I really feel like I need to be Tim Curry when I say fucking pig boy. Kiss me, pig boy. <laughs> it's like terrible in that regard. But nonetheless, like, just the way that she fucking talks is just like, oh, hey, guess what? I'm fucking evil. Everything about me is fucking evil. I'm evil. Hey, look at me. I'm evil. I could turn on you. I'm fucking evil. Hey, guess what? I'm fucking evil. Like, that whole thing is just kind of going on and all about the place in this whole fucking movie. So, from here we go and we see that Hellboy, after, like, you know, basically passing out inside of the lake underneath the water from his wounds, uh, and seeing the guy's head get lopped off by a giant, he wakes up and there are two giants out there that are sitting at a campfire and eating the Osiris Club's bodies. And then he counts two. He's like, wait, isn't there three? And then another giant comes in. And there's a giant fight between him. <laughs> yes, pun intended. Between him and the other giants where he kills all of them. And honestly, it's a lot of fun. 
Uh, he gets thrown around a lot. He, you know, severs different parts of the Giants. The coolest part of the fight for me is when he grabs one of the giant swords and he just fucking, like, lays into the guy and slices it right down the center of his head and just cracking his skull and you see the giant blood going everywhere and stuff like that. It's a very entertaining fight, but then again, I'm just like, this feels like fucking filler. I mean, we're basically about... I don't know, half an hour into the movie at this point, and none of it, only stuff that seems pertinent is the stuff with the Blood Queen and Pig Boy. Like, that stuff is perfectly fine, but they could have done, like, little things or mixed that into the story differently with some of the other things that are going on exactly the same time that happened in what would be, like, Act 2. You know, that stuff. I think that there's a lot of introduction of characters. There's a lot of introduction of people that don't necessarily be in there. Do we need, once again, like I said before, to see the whole origin story of how Hellboy came to be? It makes me feel there's another fucking Batman moment coming up at some point in this fucking movie. Once again, that I've got a fucking experience in another one of these fucking Hellboy movies. So, you know, it's just weird so he gets his ass kind of knocked around and then he ends up collapsing one of the giants falls on top of him and then all of a sudden he wakes up inside the apartment of alice who happens to be somebody that he saved previously before when she was a little kid that still remembers him and well let's get a little introduction to alice here welcome back to the land of the living hardly a scratch left you heal fast where am i Bacon, eggs, and black pudding, dear. You look like you could use a proper English breakfast. Go on. Sit down before you fall down. How did I get here? Man with a van. Actually, four men. You owe me 300 quid, by the way. I'm sorry. Do I know you? Beware the jabberwock, my son. The jaws that bite. The claws that catch. Beware the, the jub jub bird. And shun the fruit from Bandersnatch. Alice. Little Alice Monahan. Not so little Alice Monahan. <laughs> this is what you do now, huh? You what? You read tea leaves? You uh you tell people's fortunes? I make use of the gifts I was given. Oh yeah, you let folks talk to their dead relatives for what? Like five bucks a pop? More like a tenner. <laughs> Missed one. Bollocks! You'll have to eat around the burnt bits. And lucky for you, too. For once for the dead, I never would have found you. They keep blathering on. Especially Mum and Dad. Oh. They say hi, by the way. Sorry. I didn't know. Why would you? Maybe if you'd given a flying fig and checked in on me once in the past 20... What? No, he doesn't. Just let me deal with it. More dead people? I told you, they never shut up. What are they telling you now? They're saying I should kill you while I have the chance. <coughs> you see, they know what you don't. That I've got a shotgun under the table loaded with angel bones aimed right at your todger. Seems like everybody wants to be dead nowadays. They give you a reason. Only that the end is coming. And it'll be you that brings it. And don't saying gando. Google translate that, would ya? It's just something uh, a friend told me, you know. Like a prophecy. 
gonna shoot me or what? The dead might be a fully old demon ass, but I know you better. Besides, I still owe you one for saving my life when I was just a kid. So what are we doing down here? Avoiding the glass. Sorry if that sounded a little weird with a little bit of jumps here and there, but it was to get rid of a lot of the like silence in the scenes or where there's just kind of music playing for like 30 seconds because they want added effect to it or whatever. It jumps a little bit. Uh, but nonetheless... So we meet Alice in this scene, and she's basically kind of like a seer, like Lady Hatton, right? Except for she's got another really special type of power that we're going to experience in just a little bit. Um, I don't know how I feel about the character, and I don't know if it's the actress that plays her, or if it is the character in general. And again, there's that fucking thing where like he speaks in Spanish because he's basically relaying what he heard before and what the dead are saying. And she's like, can you Google translate that for me? Instead of just saying, why don't you fucking translate? Like, are you doing this to be like hip and with it? Is this a fucking Dr. Evil situation? And he's going to fucking start doing the mockerine in a fucking second. Like, come on. What the hell is going on with you? This absolutely drives me fucking mad again it's a first world problem but i kind of wish that they didn't have to do it or make it seem like so fucking obvious with the situation and maybe that's why she annoys the fuck out of me is because of that whole thing so nonetheless she's there she decides that she's not going to kill him because hey he saved her life and that would probably be a lot more interesting thing to see than once again seeing how hellboy came to this earth or whatever the hell has gone on in the first half an hour if they had actually kind of done one of these little things like gotten him to this point Maybe instead of him going after the vampire in the beginning, they started with him helping the giant thing. They went to that, you know, and maybe didn't have them betray him. Like, shorten some of this shit down. I, I get the stuff in the beginning of introducing the, the Blood Queen here and then getting them into the modern stuff. If they had just gone a little bit like that, I would have enjoyed that probably a lot better. And it may not have felt as much like filler. So she's got a connection to the dead and... She basically is like, okay, you know, I'm going to leave you alone. And then when she does this uh, and brings him under the table, that's when the BRPD busts into the place, breaks through the window, holds everybody up. And we find that, you know, his dad was basically just looking for him and, you know, trying to lead him on his expedition because he found out about, you know, like, Nimune or Nimue or the Blood Queen or whatever the fuck you want to call her, that bitch. Uh... <laughs> and uh, what they need to do now to stop her. I just don't know why you were so angry with me. You couldn't have knocked? Well, I told you, after we cleaned up the mess you left behind with the giants and you were there, I feared the worst. Thank God you're all right, okay? You know what hurts worse than being stabbed in the back? Being stabbed in the back. Oh, come on. You can't possibly believe that I knew the Osiris Club was plotting to assassinate. You know what I can't believe? I can't believe you showed up on Nazi Island all those years ago just to kill me. Yeah, that's right. I bumped into your old flame, Lady Hatton. She, uh, filled me in on a couple of the missing pieces of our family narrative. Well, if you want to dig up my sordid skeletons, I'll be the first to hand you a shovel, but this is not the time, and there's someone I want to introduce you to, okay? Major Ben Damio, head of special ops for M11. M11? My son, huh? 
And I thought you guys disbanded after the war. And I thought we were supposed to be fighting monsters, not working with them. Who are you calling monster, pal? You look in the mirror recently, Scarface. Is that meant to be humor? Maybe. My therapist does say that I rely on jokes as a way to normalize. Normalize, right. Good luck with that. So glad to see you two are getting along. Since this is on British soil, it'll be a joint operation. Please, I don't need any help kicking the dentures out of the Osiris Club, all right? I got this. No, this is bigger than you know. St. Sebastian's has been attacked. And a relic was stolen, thought to be one of the Nimue caskets. Nim who? Vivian Nimue, also known as the Blood Queen. An immortal 5th century sorceress. Amongst her powers, she has a plague that almost wiped Britain off the map, and this time it could be the world. King Arthur himself took care of that monster. He used Excalibur to dismember her, then locked the pieces in caskets and hid them throughout the country. Very impressive, Major. The Osiris Club discovered one in the 30s and kept it as part of their permanent collection. Great. So we go back to the Osiris Club, we find this casket, we figure out who's ever trying to Humpty Dumpty, this blood queen, back together, and we get a little payback while we're at it. Payback? This isn't about revenge. For me, it is. Once the casket is secure, you'll be on the first flight out. The Bureau can put you back in your cage. My cage? My cage? I'm gonna ask specifically that you clean my sawdust. Can't wait till you smell demon shit, pal! Okay, so there's a lot to take in in this little scene. One is meeting Ben from M11. It, I don't get this character. Honestly, why the fuck is he even in this film? Like, I get it for what they're trying to do towards the end, and there's a little bit of like, I don't want to say fucking redemption or some shit like that, but... It's just really weird that he even exists in this movie. Like, they could get rid of him and you wouldn't have any problems. Because there's really no conflict other than, oh, they don't really like each other and he has something against, like, the monsters and some things. And he's got this giant slash across his face. So obviously either something's been done to him or something is, like, secretive with him. And yeah, we learn it's more secretive than anything else. But it's still, like, it's a useless fucking character. That's why I, like, I just don't really get it other than, oh, well, we have to have this guy around for whatever reason it is. It just doesn't make any sense. You know, he's going to go off with Alice, and and when they go down into the street and they're getting ready to go because they're going to go to the Osiris Club and all this other fun stuff like that, like, he argues for Alice to come with him and be in this situation And then he's like, why? Why the fuck should we bring Alice along? And she's like, well, where she goes, you know, he goes or I go or whatever the fuck he's like. Where I go, she goes. That's what I'm trying to fucking say here. But other than that, like, you could have just made it the Alice and Hellboy show. That's it. Be done with it. No worries. Alice, Hellboy, and Dad. Like, why couldn't we have that? Like, or you could have done, you know, the Alice and Hellboy, like a Calvin and Hobbes type thing. Maybe Alice could have been his imaginary tiger or some shit like that. It just, I don't get why this character is even here. Like, again, like I say, he doesn't really do anything fucking special, except for a little bit towards the end of the film. That's really it. And you didn't necessarily need him there to do that shit. So... He argues, of course, like I said, for Alice to go along with him. And then he, as they're driving over to the um, the, the Osiris Cup place, he's given a new gun by his dad. They open it up, uh, and he's like, yeah, some kids got Legos when they were young. I got this. 
you know, and it's basically to replace the gun that was taken from him when he was ambushed by the, uh, you know, the giant killers before. So when they do arrive at the Osiris Club, they notice that it's deathly quiet. They break inside and Alice, she starts like going crazy because since she can talk to the dead, she hears nothing but the spirits from the dead from the Osiris Club after basically everybody's been slaughtered inside. So even though they told her to stay inside the car and just wait for them to finish, she ends up going inside and going after them because since she has this weird type of like psychic power where she can talk to the dead, all the people that have been slaughtered inside of the Osiris Club, she can hear them outside and basically kind of like gives her a giant migraine. Like she holds her head down and she just kind of screams. She's like, oh my God, there's like so many dead people and I can't fucking take it anymore. And I'm like, okay, so why don't you just get the fuck out of there? Or like, you know, go ahead of them and like reason with them. Look, I need to go in there because I can help you with this shit instead of being like, oh, I'm just going to go on my own because, you know, that's the way that I do these things. I'm going to be the, oh, you tell me not to go and then I'm just going to fucking go and eventually make myself a part of the team. Even though Hellboy is like, she goes where I go and yet tells her to stay back. Like, that makes no fucking sense. Like, if you're going to bring her along anyway, just put her in the fucking, like wheelchair or some shit and roll her fucking in there because even though she's in pain she goes where you go remember remember you stupid fucker anyway so they go inside and they go into that room where lady hatton had shown hellboy what his origin story was right and so when they're in there they see her and she's dead on the floor but alice tells both of them well Hellboy knows this. And this is what's kind of weird to me. Like, he knows exactly what she can do, but at the same time, like, he hasn't seen her since she was a little kid, right? Like, that's the whole thing. Oh, well, if you hadn't kept in touch with me since I was little when you saved me, when she was a fucking baby, you know, probably her parents told all about Hellboy and everything. I don't know, maybe went back once or twice. I, I don't really don't know, but it makes it seem like she didn't go back there... Uh, or Hellboy, I should say, didn't go back to her ever since he first rescued her way back in the day. So, how does he know unless somebody else he knows can do the same fucking thing that she can do? But they do warp Ben and let him know that, hey, you know what, this is not going to be fucking pretty. And he's like, what are you going to do? Well, what she's going to do is she's basically going to have the spirit, like, speak from her body. And the way that it's done, it's really kind of weird it's interesting. I don't know about it from the comic books. Like, this is where, like, even in the research of things, like, they don't really explain it. And maybe it does happen this way, and maybe it doesn't. It There's one thing, I, I just breaking from this real fast with this movie. There's one thing that this movie does is make me want to go back and read through all all of the graphic novel compilations of the comics. Like, find one giant big one, maybe that has the whole series in it, and then just sit there and read it. Because it, if I think this film, because it actually follows the actual comics a little better from what I can read, uh, it, it makes me a little more interested. Like, the other ones, I'm interested in what Del Toro is doing with the Hellboy stuff. And with this one, I know I said it wouldn't compare them again, I, and I also said it's probably going to happen again. Um, <laughs> this one makes me want to delve into the comics more. And I think that's something that's really good with this film as well. So I don't know if this exists as it does in the comics. And I'm assuming the way that he's approaching this, he's approached other people that have had this type of capability. But basically it's like the best thing I can kind of think about. It's like 
turning her stomach inside out, and the intestines is coming out of her mouth, and the end of the stomach is actually the spirit, and the spirit is now talking every with everybody. And this is like the weird scene where also where Ben kind of goes, "What the fuck?" Like the look on his face when he sees Lady Hatton is crazy. But she's like totally explains what's going on here. Lady Hatton, can you hear me? Lady Hatton. Well, I'll be fucked. Nimue, she has returned. Yeah, we know that. Uh, is that why Osiris trying to kill me? Man will fall to her darkness. Those who call the shadows home will rise again. Okay, I'd appreciate a prophecy with smaller and more relatable stakes. The queen must never find a king when Nimue is whole again. Then your true destiny will be revealed. This I have seen. Only then will... Only then will what? Hey! 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 You just got to the good parts! It's... it's still here. Are you all right? No. Her laziness just came out my fucking mouth. Stay with her. So Pig Boy, he's back there and he's trying to basically get the box. And this is one of those weird situations where does he still have the tongue from the other guy that he ripped out earlier? Like, how was he able to get all the different body parts? And especially here, there's one body part left that's in this place. And is he able to use his capability of having that tongue to basically say, is this box, or open this box? Like, open Sesame, where the fuck that he has to say to get these boxes open? And he gets caught by Hellboy at this point with the box, and they struggle, and he's like... You look really familiar. Of course, Pig Boy is very upset because Hellboy is here and he wants to get his powers back and he's not quite ready or he wants to reach his peak power, I guess I should say. And he's not yet ready to knock down the door and beat the shit out of Hellboy. Nimue is actually able to astral project herself at this point and she sees him for the very first time and she is automatically smitten with him. Not necessarily because, you know, Hellboy is the sexiest demon man alive, but the fact that he could possibly become the portrayer of the apocalypse, and she finds power extremely fucking sexy. So, you know, like a lot of evil fucking witches in a stereotype that I'm saying right now. So, (laughs) she convinces him basically to kind of stop attacking Pig Boy, and Pig Boy gets away with the last of her parts. I guess that must be the other piece of her arm, I guess, or her hand that she was looking for. Happened to be in here with the Osiris Club. So, Pig Boy does get away, and, you know, he tries to go after him after he's gotten kind of out of her trance. And then, you know, he's he kind of gets a little more like, he's like, they ask him, do you know that guy? Like, do you know the pig guy? And he explains how he knows the pig boy by telling him about how he saved Alice from some fairies. Tell me you got the bastard. We pursued. The damn thing was just too fast. We didn't even get a proper look at it. Man, ugly pig-faced son of a bitch. But you did, didn't you? You know what's going on here, so I strongly suggest you start talking. 
Who's the crew goes? The what? Are you sure? Yeah. I never forget a face like that. What's a Gruagog? We first crossed paths years ago. Alice was just a baby at the time, and fairies love to steal babies. It's like living in a nightmare we can't wake up from. Who knows why, but when they do manage to get their hands on one, they leave a changeling in its place to pass for human. She looks the same, but I can't explain it. That's not my daughter. Oh, <laughs> I'm worried that you've been acting strange. It's okay. Uncle Hellboy's here. And he's got just the thing for that. Yes, what I saw, you little bastard. Oh, Jesus, what are you doing? Iron. I hate the stuff. Oh, Let me go. Let me go. This is child abuse. I'm a little baby, you big fuck. Disgusting. What is that thing? Take it. I swear, I'd love to take your word for it. But you know what? There's one problem. I'm just not stupid. You slippery little bastard! Listen! You better bring these people back to baby! Or I'm coming to get it myself! And you and your little fairy friends are gonna be so so later that night, he does bring back Alice to their, you know, their home and ends up saving the dame in that regard. But that scars Pig Boy for a very long time and scars him currently, like to this day, because he feels like he could have been somebody. He could have been a contender. He could have been a fighter. He could have gotten out there and he could have raveled all the other demons and monsters out there. Hell, he could have been a real boy one day. He could have had his own Geppetto. And they could have gone out there. He could have fought himself a whale. And I'm going way off topic here. But pretty much, yeah, he could have been, you know, more than what he actually was. Or lived the life of a human being, constantly being in that shape. Even though he's a very ugly and disgusting pig boy. Uh, it's kind of an interesting situation. I like the lore behind this all. I like the fact that when they smell somebody that has such a power that she does they want to replace it and they want to actually take over and take that power for their own so basically it's kind of like they're eating the kid or something like that and they're getting her powers and meanwhile they're putting a replacement little changeling in her place it's great i really like that the problem i have with the scene is the way that david harbour acts it like he's fine again in his kind of like hellboy type of thing but he really shows no reaction or emotion to half the crap that happens in the scene. And I don't know if this is be supposed to be because, you know, he's like teenage Hellboy at this point. Like, or early 20s Hellboy, where you just don't give a shit about the environment around. Yeah, I'm just doing this job because I gotta do this. My dad made me come out here to stop this fucking changeling man. And I can't deal with this bullshit right now. You know, I've got a game of Madden tonight. And I gotta make sure that my lineup is fucking set. And meanwhile, I'm out here dealing with this fucking bullshit fucking changeling. Where I could just be getting ready for my big fucking online football game tonight. And here I am. I'm dealing with this shit. God, 
Like, that's the attitude I, I feel from this scene. It's fucking ridiculous. And even then, like, when he gets bit by the little pig boy, there's nothing. There's no ow. There's no whatever it is. Even when he gets spit into, like, his face, he does show a little emotion getting mad at the end of it. But he doesn't really show anything, like, acting-wise. Like, it's obvious that he's just waiting for the scene to be fucking done. Like, this is your best fucking take? Like, you don't even, like, oh my god, like, wipe from your face? Nothing. You don't do anything. And it's just really fucking weird. Like, why? Why is this the take that everybody's okay with? It just doesn't make any sense to me. So... You know, he concludes the whole thing by, like, yeah, he got Alice back, he got her back to her parents, and that's how he knows what this thing is. We then cut over to see him, uh, the pig boy, delivering the last piece to the Blood Queen, Nimue, and making sure, man, I'm going to be singing a song by the end of the time I'm done with this stupid thing to make sure that fucking name stays in my head. But, (laughs) nonetheless... Uh, there's a bunch of witches around her and they're all sewing her back together and then he explains to her why he wants revenge so bad from Hellboy and it's basically kind of what I explained before careful you slugs the pain is fleeting compared to 1500 years locked in a box I only live to save my queen you only serve Get your revenge against this hell boy. Why is he so important to you? He burnt me with iron and cursed me to a world of shame. I could have been a person of this wasted wandering things. I could have had a real life filled with light and happiness. Hellboy stole that from me. Poor creature. Lust for vengeance has made us both blind with rage. Miwe, queen of witches. Miwe, who can never die. But now I see a new path laid out before me. One that would lead to far greater glory. And your Hellboy is the key. Hellboy? Where are we going with this? I don't understand. You will. But first, we must complete one final task. So this is where you realize that Pig Boy is kind of a fucking idiot, right? Because she's basically saying right in front of his face that, look... Hellboy is the key to me being all-powerful, and for truly what I want to bring to this world, he has to be with me. And he's like, what? But you promised me that I'm going to beat the shit out of Hellboy. Oh, no, no, don't worry. You can still do that. You can still beat the crap out of him, but you're probably not going to be able to kill him. What do you mean? You, You need him for something? Yeah, didn't you just hear me? I said, I fucking need him for something. Just fucking listen for once, pig boy. You're so caught up with revenge. And she even says that too, that I was so blinded by revenge, I didn't see the bigger picture, and now she sees the bigger picture, which he still does not see. He doesn't see that if he, you know, because he's so blinded with rage and the fact that he could have been somebody and that he is really just living in the past instead of living in the fucking moment, That he can't see anything else but revenge on fucking Hellboy. So, she realizes that 
she can get revenge, but she can get so much more if she convinces him to come over to her side. So we then cut back over into London streets, and that's where they're going to be taking him to the M11 base. And this is where you get the scene from the trailer where, like, he walks inside the bakery, and, the, and she's like, I need to see an ID. And he's like, look like, look at me. Like, don't you know who I fucking am? And she's like, I still need to see some ID. And then they take him downstairs into the new BRPD. And before we go downstairs into the new police station or the new, you know, paranormal research or whatever the fuck you want to call it, uh, we do see a little side scene where Ben, he goes over into like a gun shop and there's a guy that's creating a new type of weapon that's hopefully going to allow Ben to kill Hellboy because he still doesn't quite believe that like, he's like, he's still evil and you can't change fucking evil. So I'm just going to make sure that he's dead. We haven't tried any type of weapons like this against him, but I think that it's going to fucking work. And he says, you know, well, the guy that's with him, he's like, well, how do you know it's going to work? And he's like, because Hellboy is pretty fucking dumb. And that's where we go back over <laughs> into, like, the downstairs area there. And they're basically sitting around a table, and they're all trying to figure out more information about Nimue. And, like, trying to understand why the Blood Queen, or where the Blood Queen could possibly be. This is yet another scene where I get it. There's parts of it where like she's gotten into his head and I get these things. But honestly, it just comes over as a whiny-ass fucking hellboy. Why does this book have so many words? Let's say we find Nimue, huh? Let's say we find her. <clears throat> then what? Well, with a righteous fury and a mighty fist, you'll smite her down. Oh, now, come on, hellboy. Take your feet off Churchill's desk, would you? Huh? Whoa, wicked. Then what? Then we make sure she doesn't come back for the sequel. Then what? Then the world will keep on spinning and we'll have another cup of tea. And then... What? What are you on about? Just answer the question. And then what? Well, we fight our next foe. It's what we do. And then what? Guys. And then... What? You have something to say. Say it. Your moral high ground is founded on a pile of bullshit. This is the BPRD. We're the line in the sand. That's the thing about sand. You can always draw another line. Guys. If we weren't here, this would be Satan's holiday home. You know, maybe if humans weren't so keen on killing witches and demons and such, the witches and demons and such wouldn't be so keen on killing humans. That's a false equivalence in you There's got to be another way. The answer to every threat we face cannot be annihilation. There's got to be a world where monsters don't have to hide in the shadows, where they don't have to live in fear, where monsters... She got to you, Nimue. She got you with her perfumed words and her perky breath. so stupid! Oh? I'm not even talking about her! Then who? We face every mystical and metaphysical threat there is, and yet you take me in. Why? You were sent to kill me. What changed your mind? You did. You gave me a gun on my 10th birthday. You sent me into the Windigan Forest to hunt a pack of wild hill trolls. Here we go again. No, we didn't play snakes and ladders. We didn't play go fish. I didn't coach you in football or baseball. You made me a goddamn weapon. I just wanted to help you become the best you. If you uh, loved me, maybe you could talk to some of your human friends that would want to see me dead. Rather than unleashing me 
to slaughter my brothers and sisters! Okay, see, there is a good way to do this, and I feel there's this way. <laughs> like, first of all, listening back to that clip, I've been calling it the BRPD and it's the BPRD, okay? You don't have to send the angry tweets, you don't have to send the messages, though I'm pretty sure that I'm going to hear one from somebody, uh, and you know who you are, or maybe you people are. Uh, but <laughs> anyway, it's ridiculous, right? Am I wrong? Am I wrong in the way that this scene is presented? Like, even at the end of the whole thing, like, he's throwing a fucking tantrum. I totally get what he's saying, right? And... Honestly, the dad is just like, oh no, not this fucking shit again. Are you really fucking doing this? I come on, man. You know what's at stake here. Everybody could fucking die. There will be no more life on the planet. It'll be just be you guys, you know, and everything that you hold dear to yourself won't be fucking here. And I raised you better than this. You are half human, half fucking demon, and I treated you more like a human than I did a fucking weapon. Even though, even though he did, like, take him out to go shooting and kill wild trolls and all this other fucking bullshit, he still treated him like he was any other person. And he's still treating him like a fucking son in this situation. But no, he has to be a whiny fucking bitch about the whole situation. And then, and then, and then. Like, come on, dude. Like, do we really need to have the character portrayed this way? You can have this inner fucking turmoil without being a little fucking bitch about it. Like, the whole thing, he's just like... He's such a little kid, but he's not meant to be really a kid at this point. I get it. You could call him a teenager. You could call him whatever the fuck you want, but it's like he's a fucking 10-year-old or even younger than that where somebody who's just not getting their fucking way is just going to fucking throw a tantrum, and that's what he fucking does in this scene. He just throws a motherfucking tantrum straight out, straight out in front of everybody here and just slams the door on his way. Oh, while I'm out there killing my brothers and sisters, I get it. Again, you can make the argument, but not sound the way that he sounds. And this is one of those situations where I just don't like the way the character is being done. I don't really feel like, if I were reading the comics, that this is the way that he would react to the situation. Again, maybe when he's young, but the storyline that they're taking from these comics is towards the end of the whole series. We are almost done with the Hellboy series by the time we get to these comics. Like, we really have a couple of chapters, like big like storyline chapters left, and that's it. We're done with Hellboy. So why would you take something that's this late in the whole library and then treat it like the jumping off point for the film series? It makes no fucking sense. Other than it's, it, it seems like it's a really cool story in an interesting like area. But why? Why wouldn't you do something earlier? It, it just doesn't make... If you want it to be super faithful to the comics, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. If you're going to have this type of Hellboy be in this series. So, he storms off and he tries to go you know, back upstairs because he wants to get out of this place. But then the elevator basically is like, no, you're going to go down. He's like, no, I want to go up. Going down. No, go up. Down, up, down, up, down, up. He breaks his phone again, by the way, in this scene. Um, (laughs) Answering a phone call and fucking turning it off or whatever. 
And so he ends up going down, down, down till he gets to the bottom. And then he ends in a giant clearing where there's a bunch of trees and we see Baba Yaga's house for the very first time. And it actually looks fucking awesome. I really love the design of this house, the way that it travels on its legs. What I really like about a lot of the stuff that goes into the Hellboy things is that it uses a lot of lore and a lot of actual depictions of the way that lore is. So even when we get this house for Baba Yaga, it's literally like what you would imagine Baba Yaga's house actually being like, like the historical literature figure. That's the house that is depicted as, and that's what you see, and it looks really great. Even when he goes inside of it, the inside, even though it's very minimalist, it looks really creepy, and I feel that set is really well done. So he manages to get inside, and he calls out to Baba Yaga, and she basically kind of does her, like, I don't want to say magic, but she has been awaiting for him to come because everything is going to lead to this moment. And then she's going to help him, like, find out where the Blood Witch is. And uh, But she requires something from him. So this is quite a long little bit of scene. I had to cut out a couple of fighting scenes between the two of them. But what I love the most, and when you, especially when you're seeing this scene, is the way that Baba Yaga moves. But what I don't like about Baba Yaga is I don't like the makeup that they use because sometimes the face just does not move. Like when you watch it, she's talking and then eventually the mouth like catches up and I don't think it's the audio, it's just the way the makeup is. And then all of a sudden some of it, it looks great, it's moving with it and then other times it's like she's talking without moving anything. You know, it's really weird and awkward like but her movements are really cool the fact that she doesn't have the legs and they're wooden and she's walking around on these things that all that stuff the and, and the design of the whole place and even like the voice and everything like that i'm totally behind it's just sometimes that face just makes me want to laugh fucking out loud but you know i think that the the conversation they have is very important so let's take a listen baba baba yaga Oh, cut the crap. I know you're here. Why'd you summon me? You want to play games, huh? Tell you what, let's break out the yacht. Otherwise, I'm not interested. I fed <sighs> your hunger, and I have prepared a feast for you. Don't you look lovely? Most think me grotesque. An old hag with one eye. Oh no, not me. Probably because you did this to me. I recall you trying to raise Stalin's ghost from the necropolis. I had to do something to stop you. So you shut out my eye and put me in this prison. Ah, uh, you know, I thought banishing you to an adjacent dimension was, uh, kind of clever. Come, sit, eat. Uh, yeah, quite a spread for just two people. We celebrate our return. Nemoi. You are correct to applaud our righteousness. In our world, you will be hailed a hero. They will build statues of you. 
2,000 feet high, made from the bones of your enemies. I took a shit ton of bones. What is for dinner? Is it a child? It's just a human child. Eat. Oh, God. So clumsy. Sorry about that. I gotta go. Gotta be there for that resurrection. Gonna be better than the Beatles. I can help you. You can, can't you? You know where Nimue is, don't you? Such nice eyes. Yellow as piss. My favorite color. I want one to replace what you took from me. That's not gonna happen, sister. Your time is running out, demon. Once Nimue's resurrection is complete, her plague will strip the flesh from bodies. All right, fine. Take it. Just tell me where to find Nimue first. This is a sacred bargain. Once made, it cannot be broken. What do you want in writing? No need. Let's seal it with a key. So there's a bunch of things that are kind of going on in this scene. And like I said, there was a little bit that was kind of taken out. And actually, I said fighting earlier, but I realized that that actually comes after this. So we'll talk about it real fast. So the big thing that I took out is actually her coming like out of a bathtub. And it's just the way that she moves and moving across the floor and getting her like bearing straight and walking like uh, the spider walk from the exorcist when she's like coming down the stairs, you know, when they added it to the film. Like those things are kind of going on in that little sequence and especially when he gets up to the table the other thing that i cut out which is really it was more of like a sight gag in anything is that when he looks at the table and she has and when you first meet her for the very first time when she talks to pig boy you see like little like skeleton hands you're like what the hell is that turns out that she's eating children right so when he asks what's that are those children and she like he sees her coming out with the soup and there's little hands in the soup, and there's little hands on the table, and that's what the feast is completely made out of. And she's coming towards him, and he looks off into the distance, and he sees that there's, like, bodies of children, like, hanging back there. Like, you kind of get that, like, innuendo. There's not, like, a shit ton of bodies or anything like that. Not innuendo, but, like, <laughs> innuendo is a really bad word to use in that situation. Like, you get a, a hint that that might actually be going on. And so... You know, he looks there and she brings, oh, here, eat some, and then he knocks it from her hand. Oops, I'm totally sorry that I did it. Now, here, he's not a whiny fucking bitch, like, at all. And he's actually a relatively, I like David Harbour in this scene. Like, he's perfect. He's got the right amount of snark, the way that he's dealing with the character. It only seems to be when he's dealing with the humans rather than with the creatures where he doesn't come off in the right way. But here, it's it's like he... Maybe part of it is because he's like on that line of either being a demon or being a human, right? Like, neither side truly accepts him. He's got a bunch of humans that want to kill him, but he has a bunch of humans that love him. 
I don't know if he has any demons that love him, but the demons either want to kill him or they want to use him for something, like when he becomes the harbinger of the apocalypse. He doesn't want to do that because he's got that connection, that deeper connection to his human side, thanks to his dad, and maybe that's why he acts like a little more like a bitch, like he knows that this is the right thing to do, but at the same time, he's like, well, maybe there is some good in, like, the bad that's out there. You know, and he really shouldn't compare himself to, like, the monsters that are out there. Because he's a fucking demon. And I kind of put them in separate categories. I mean, you wouldn't consider, you know, Sasquatch to be the equivalent of, like, a bile demon or something like that. They're totally different things from totally different worlds. You know, they would never be able to get together. They never have offspring. Well, maybe they would. I don't know. Maybe Sasquatch is out there fucking demons all the time. I don't fucking know. But... What I mean is, is that you'd never find them at the same, like, company event. You know, he's going to be off in the hidden, like, wilds contests that are out there. Who's going to stay hidden from society for the longest. Whereas the demons are going to be like, yeah, at the, the cocaine hooker party that's down in hell. Because, hey, that's probably where a lot of cocaine and hookers end up. You know, cocaine is <laughs> the fucking most sinful drug that there possibly is, and it's the only one that could show up in hell. And it's probably sold at Walmart down there, too, because, again, if Satan would shop anywhere, it'd be Walmart. Uh, so, he's when he's confronted with these demons, he is straight up just like, he's that snarky, sarcastic person. And I love that. But when he's with the humans... He's not necessarily that. So here he goes through and he finally, because he needs to have this and he knows he needs to do something to stop this, he is willing to give up his eyes. And they do seal it with a kiss. And it's like that scene from fucking Not Another Teen Movie where the old lady who's trying to be the young lady or pretending kisses and there's that giant like long string of saliva that happens there. Yeah, it's like that, but ten times fucking worse. Like, it, it's just nasty because she's just, like, French in his face and it's all over it and she's got the giant teeth and it's like, they really went out of the way to make it feel as disgusting as possible because it probably is supposed to be that fucking disgusting. So, they seal with a kiss. She goes in to take the eye after she tells him that, uh, you know, Nimoy is going to be at Pendleton and he gets ready to leave and she's like, wait, you know, that, the whole thing was that you're going to give me your eye. And he's like, well, I didn't tell you when. You didn't stipulate it. He's like, when I'm done with it, you can have it. And that pisses her off. So she goes and she attacks him. And they have like a little fight back and forth. And it's really interesting. I kind of like, again, it's all because of the way that she moves. Like when you first see her, how she moves there, compared to now how she's moving against him in this fight with these two like daggers and attacking him. It's actually really entertaining. And eventually she gives up and she decides that she's going to, you know, curse Hellboy because, well, might as well, right? You know, make sure that he gets fucked up in the end. Take your eyes and have them for a while. But seek me and here's my curse that you have two eyes to see the thing you love most in the world. Suffer and die. So, are you just not using doors anymore? Don't keep us in suspense. Is that a visit from Baba Yaga? The Blood Queens in Pendle Hill. 
We're on a clock. Glad to see you straighten your priorities out. I'm not taking orders from you, old man. I'm just drawing my own line in the sand. Okay, there he. There's a lot of times here that he sounds like Patrick Warburton. Like Patrick Warburton should have been fucking Hellboy. And if you don't know who that is, the the biggest example I can have probably for a lot of people is Joe from Family Guy. He was also on the Venture Brothers. He was Brock Samson, uh, the voice of him, and he was also on Seinfeld and a couple other things out there. I really love the guy as a voice actor, but he kind of does the same voice all the time. But even at the end of that, like that's exactly who I imagine is saying that fucking thing. Uh, and it's still ridiculous. Again, he's just kind of being snarky and whiny to his dad. And then there's no reason for him to really be like that other than, oh, I did this on my own. Look at me, how fucking special I am or some shit like that. So he goes and he grabs Ben and he grabs Alice and they take a helicopter and they begin flying. And that's where we actually learn a little more about why Ben feels exactly the way that he does. This is sick. Do you know what they did to the witches at Pendle Hill? They cut off their tongues, fed them to maggots and buried them alive. Right there on the spot. Don't believe everything you read on the internet. What did I say? Reading the world of evil is a dirty business. What's with evil monsters anyway? One of them touched you funny as a kid. I've been seeing freaky shit my whole life. And if it's taught me anything, it's that hate hides behind the most righteous faces. Are you seriously going to lecture me about faces? Maybe you think I got these scars from shaving. What happened? I'm not going to stop asking. You might as well tell me. My unit was on a training exercise in Belize. One of the local tribal elders came to us asking for help. Their village was under attack by a man-eater. It would come at night, carry off its prey. Mostly men, but sometimes it was women and children, too. Savage, smart, totally without remorse. All the while that we were hunting it, in reality, it was hunting us. I was the only survivor. I'm so sorry. Okay, so basically he was attacked by like a cheetah man. Not the Action 52 kind, but you know, the kind that exists inside of a horror movie. Or Panther Man, or whatever you want to talk about. But basically he was attacked by that, and that's how he got the scars on his face, okay? So he doesn't have to lie to anybody anymore, and every time he stops somebody, he doesn't have to ask them why he, they think that he has those scars inside of his face. You know, it obviously is a fucking slash from some type of cat, but who knows? Who knows what exactly he's going through? And of course, you know, he hates all monsters now because he was attacked and they killed all of his group. But mm, there's something a little fishy to that story, so we'll leave that for a little later on. So they land and they start walking up Pendle Hill out in Pendleton. And as they get to one point, you see the Blood Queen. She's drawing all of her blood back from the tree from when we saw it in the beginning of the film. And she's getting her powers back. And when she gets her powers back, she starts raising the dead that are down there and they start attacking Hellboy, Ben, and Alice. So everybody starts to fight down there 
And it's really kind of weird. When it comes to like the non-CG type of fights that they've had so far, well, they had beautiful kind of choreography within the fight between Hellboy and Baba Yaga. And here, like, the camera stutters, and it does all weird sorts of things while they're shooting at the fucking zombies down there. It's weird. Is it a stylistic choice? It must be, because it doesn't really match the rest of the film and the flow of the film. So... They're busy down there, they're fighting off all the undead, and eventually both Ben and Alice tell Hellboy he needs to go up there, and he needs to basically stop her and make sure she doesn't get all of her powers back just yet. He agrees to go, and then that's when you find out that Alice actually has some type of ability that she's able to like punch the souls out of the dead. So she's got a lot of power that she didn't even know she has, and when Ben is slowly running out of ammo, she's able to actually fight back for him, and there's like a repertoire growing between the two of them. We go back up onto the hill, and we see that... You know, she's getting her full powers back, and Hellboy is going to come in there, and he's going to try to stop the whole thing from happening. They've come from out of the darkness to celebrate your return. No more bowing and scraping, my beloveds. That is not what I want. I want an army long hidden from the eyes of man. I want the forgotten people out of the dark! Those who have lived in dust, who have gnawed on dry bones while dreaming of blood! That is what I want. Give me an army like that, and we will make the daytime world weep. Well, don't just cower there like mice. Step forth. Ah, dear sisters, how kind of you to grace me with your presence after hiding all these years. Please, Nimue, for me and my sisters, have mercy. Ganida, did you show me mercy? When Arthur cut me to pieces and buried me alive. Where was your mercy then? Don't I beg you? Look at you, groveling like an animal. Don't worry, Gnida. I won't kill you. But you must do something for me first. To prove your newfound loyalty, take Hellboy to the one who can show him his destiny. Oh, sorry! I interrupt! I'll bore you bastard! I hope I'm not late to the party! You've arrived just in time. So, there's a couple things that go on in this scene. One, the first thing that happens is all of the, like, underworldlings, they all come out because they've all found that she's back from the dead, right? And then 
as she's torturing the sisters. And remember, three of the sisters, and one in particular took over as like the Blood Queen or took her crown or whatever it was from the beginning of the film. But she basically kills the other two sisters. But the one that betrayed her, she's like, no, I'm going to use you for whatever it is that I'm going to use you for, right? And she ends up in the, the effect that she does when she like crumples him down. Like, I wish it could be just a little bit better. It's lacking something like it's interesting and you really kind of see the pain and what they're going through. But it's just there's something that's just off. It's like it's not like it looks bad. It's just not good. <laughs> you know, It's kind of weird. Again, this is something I think that you should see. And uh, she does give back the crown over to, you know, Nimue. And when she does that, she becomes a little more whole. She takes the crown, and then that's when Hellboy shows up and fires at her and basically takes a giant chunk out of her face. Uh, and out of her head, actually. And her eyeball is just, like, hanging there. And it looks neat, but it feels out of place because it's so CGI. Like, the eye looks terrible. But at the same time, I really kind of like the effect. It's weird. Like, all the creatures, they get totally scared because, oh my god, she got her, like, face blown open. And they think that maybe she's not as powerful as she used to be. But she manages to get the, like, face, like, reconstructive surgery on herself super fucking quick. And that is even kind of a weird effect. Like, it looks neat as it's all, like, forming. But it looks like they couldn't figure out how to finish the animation of the effect. So when the face becomes whole, it just looks odd. It doesn't look right. So you have her now. She basically has Hellboy in a hold. You cut over and you see that Alice and Ben are still fighting the undead creatures back there. And then when we go up to the top, we see that Pig Boy, he wants to get his powers and he wants to get revenge. And then we get one of the trailer quotes. Wait, wait. That's so fucking funny now, I My queen, you stole me now. Let me finish him. Not just yet. But you swore. Oh, mind your tongue, pig. Move it. Get in. Hey, where do you think you're going? To give birth to a new world. Yeah. By killing a lot of innocent people. Why do you fight for those who hate and fear you? All I wanted was revenge until I saw you. You can usher in the apocalypse. Out of the ashes, a new Eden will emerge. Leave these frail, pathetic humans behind. Be my king. And be revered for who you really are. We belong together, you and I. We do, but it's not going to work, you know, because I'm a Capricorn and you're fucking nuts! A demon sleeps inside you. And I will awaken it. Hellboy! Hellboy! Even if I have to take away everything and everyone you've ever loved. So basically, she poisons Alice in this situation. She takes a piece off her crown, she throws it over to Alice, it sticks in her neck, and he's gonna go over and try to pull it out. But her, like, sister that betrayed her, or the witch that betrayed her, or whatever the fuck she is, tells him that, no, you can't do it. Like, if you try to do it, the poison is just going to spread faster. But I know somebody who can. And who is this person that can do it? Well, 
Now, this is where I have to, like, suspend my belief a little bit, because supposedly the poison is attacking Alice, like, really, really strongly, right? Like, it's gonna take her, and it's it's killing her, but it's not, like, super slow or anything like that. We don't know how much time she has, but they have enough time to go on, like, a fucking boat ride out into the middle of nowhere to go wherever the fuck Merlin happens to be and have him, like, remove the fucking stinger for him. That's right, you heard me right, fucking Merlin. Merlin in this fucking movie. Now, we already have experienced Arthur and Merlin already towards the beginning of it, but did you know, do you even think that he was going to come fucking back in this movie? I didn't. So, it's kind of a good surprise, but why the fuck is Merlin in this movie? Well, Merlin is the only one that can, one, show Hellboy his true destiny, and two, just like the Blood Queen wanted, right? And two, can remove the fucking poison out of Alice's neck. So he goes down and basically finds the resting place of Merlin, wakes his ass up, and has him, like, basically heal Alice, and then we get to learn a little more about exactly what the bloodline, yeah, you're going to hear this right, the bloodline of fucking Hellboy. And the funny thing is, I have to add this here first, this is fucking canon. So this is actually the way that it is inside the comic books. So even though it sounds fucking ridiculous, this actually happens in the goddamn story. Have you finally come to claim my soul? That's the other guy. Come on, my friend's been poisoned and we were told that you could help. I have seen this before. This is Nimue's work. You cannot underestimate this witch. She is evil incarnate. There's still a chance if we act quickly, but you must promise me something in return. That you will do whatever is necessary to destroy Nimue, no matter the cost. I can damn well guarantee it. <laughs> Should we be worried about where that's going? Welcome back. Who's the new guy? You don't believe me, I told you. Hey, hey! Why did you do that? Let your friends rest, they'll be fine. What comes next is for you and you alone. Hellboy, your story whispered itself into my ear, and I realized fate had something else in store for us both. Okay. Tell me, are there still tales of King Arthur in your time? How we drew the sword from the stone. Uh, yeah. Movies, too. The regular pop culture phenom. Give me your hand. People believe that Arthur's lineage died with him, but it's not true. The bloodline continued when Arthur had a daughter, and that daughter had a daughter, and so on. Ending with Sarah Bethany Hughes. She used to fly to the Sabbath on the back of a demon in the shape of a goat. And on Walpurgis night, 1574, she married that demon. That very night, she was taken down to hell, where she delivered a son. Anangunrawa. And the last part I heard that before, what is that? It's you. Anangunrawa. Destroyer of all things. 
The title you were given on the day you were born. So my mother was human. And so are you, at least in part. Son of Arthur, last of the royal lineage. Blood of his blood, destined to be king of man. Which is why I know you are the only one who can do what must be done. Excalibur, the one weapon that can stand against Nimue. Uh, looks bigger in the cartoon. Only a true descendant of Arthur can wield it. It is your birthright, Hellboy. Your destiny. This is how you will destroy the Blood Queen. So, let me get this straight. He is a descendant of fucking Arthur. Arthur fucking Pendragon. Are you fucking kidding me? And this actually is what happens in the comic books. So it's fucking canon. It sounds fucking ridiculous. It sounds like it's all made up for this just this fucking movie. But no, it's fucking true. I can't say it's fucking real because it's a fucking comic book. It's a work of fiction. But yeah, it's fucking real, okay? This is what actually happens in the whole series. It's amazing to me that he ties back the whole thing. And what this means, too, is that he's the rightful fucking king of England. That's right, Hellboy is your fucking king. King of all the people out there. Not that old lady in the fucking office right now. Not that queen that's sitting there and, you know, the son that's probably wishing that he dies before she does so he doesn't have to be king. That's right, Hellboy is the one that is actually the one that should be in charge right now. Well, in a fictional world, right? So, it's just absolutely fucking crazy that they're cramming all of this type of shit into the last... What would, I would think, would be the last act of the movie. But actually, this is kind of the end of Act 2. Like, this is the revelation. If this was a miniseries, you would stop this at the end of that episode. And that would be the last thing that you even see. Well, actually, the last thing that you would see would be what happens next. And then, you know, when he doesn't take the sword. Because when he tries to grab the sword, all of a sudden, he sees himself. He gets visions of himself in hell. And or not hell it could be hell on earth he's got his horns he's got his crown of fire it actually looks really badass he's got the sword which is turned into a flaming sword and he's just killing fools and you're like holy crap this is awesome but he doesn't want that it's the apocalypse basically that's happening and he's the one that's bringing it on so if he takes the sword he can kill nimue but he also will bring upon the apocalypse at the same fucking time. Like, it's weird. Like, he can't really control himself. Like, what's going to happen to him is basically he's just going to all of a sudden grab it and turn into a fucking demon and then just want to fucking kill every human that he sees. That's it. Like, he has the blood of kings in him. He has human blood. He's been raised as a human. Why can't he just become a demon, like, demon-like thing and just do whatever the fuck he wants? I don't really fucking get it, but that's the way that the they're kind of portraying what's going to happen. So he chooses not to take the sword, which Merlin curses him, saying, I used the last of my powers, and he turns to dust and he dies right then and there. So, like I said, if this was a series or miniseries or like, you know, regular TV episodes, this would be the point where there would be like, dun-dun-dun to be concluded, right? 
It actually would be a great fucking cliffhanger, even for a movie. If you want to make a sequel to this movie, I might have ended it right there and been like, okay, we're going to go and we're going to go on to the next story. Kind of like do what you did with the graphic novels. But, you know, of course, this is a movie. And then I looked at the time. How much time is left at this point in the fucking movie? There's about 40 minutes. 40 fucking minutes left in this movie. Why does it feel like we got to see so much of the fucking giant bullshit in the beginning? Like, we had all of that. All fucking like 30 to 40 minutes of that bullshit. And then now all of a sudden we're doing the whole thing with King Arthur and learning about his lineage and all this other fucking shit. And his mom and and that she was human and she fucked a demon and we didn't even know that she was a witch. They don't say she's a witch in this one, but she was a witch in the comic books. Like all this stuff. They could have gone into it a little bit more, but they decided to skip over this to put in the fucking Osiris clan fucking like backstabbing him and them fighting fucking giants. Stuff that's not really fucking important to the whole overall plot of the rest of this fucking movie. We had to watch an extra half an hour of that bullshit. Why can't we get into this? And then seeing him again, once again, I understand you're doing it for a new generation or you're doing it to this new audience because I want to show fucking Lobster Johnson fucking show up. Great. Lobster fucking Johnson shows up. But is he worth going through that whole thing again? We've already seen it once, and it was done well, and you're basically almost doing the same fucking thing. I mean, you're following the storyline, I get it, but it's almost like you're doing the same fucking thing again. So, you could have gone more into this whole relationship with Arthur. Like, I want to know more about this. You know, I'm pretty sure it's not necessarily a big fleeting thing. It's not necessarily something that's constantly focused on inside the books. But I'm pretty sure that in the comics, it's more than just like, say, a page. Because that's what this feels like. It's like, oh, guess what? You're also the son of Arthur. Huh? I'm the son of Arthur? Yeah, you're the son of Arthur. You can go grab the sword now. Okay, let's move on with the movie. Like, everything towards the end of this movie feels so goddamn rushed. I would have liked to have seen more of what she does when she does start taking over everything. She starts being fucking evil. Like, let's go a little further into that. But no, that's like hella backpedaled and shit. Ugh. Not necessarily backpedal, but put it on the back burner. I guess that's the way I should say it. So, nonetheless, he's got to go now. And they got to figure out, because they brought Alice back, they need to go and figure out a way to stop Nimoy without fucking Excalibur. Because he's going to become the destroyer of the world. So, meanwhile, back over in jolly old England, uh, we find out on the TV that, hey, guess what's back? The Black Plague. The British government has failed to pinpoint the origin of the plague, which is spreading at an unprecedented rate. The Prime Minister has declared an official state of emergency and is urging British citizens to remain indoors and to avoid contact with anyone who may be infected. Casualties are expected to reach 100,000 within two hours, with the British plague spreading to the EU, resulting in massive fatalities over the next 24 hours and threatening to spark a global epidemic. Listen up, ladies and gentlemen. The shit has gone way beyond the fact. Out there, there's a 5th century sorceress and her pig monster who want to bring down the curtain on London and the world. Now, please tell me where the fuck they are! I need to see some ID, love. The infection rate is much higher than You gonna tell us what happened down there? Where's Gandalf? He's dead. 
He offered me the sword Excalibur. He said it was the only way to kill the Blood Queen. All right, so where is it? I didn't take the sword, because if I do, I'm the guy who's going to bring about the end of the world. You're the guy who's going to bring about the end of the world. Get over yourself. Daimyo. We've got a job to do. We've got to go. What's wrong? The Blood Queen just took out the BPRD. Dad. <laughs> okay, okay. You know what's really funny about that scene? And no, it's I'm not laughing about death or whatever is going on here. But I did it this time, and I bet you guys are thinking it too. And I promise you, promise, 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 that sound does not come from my computer in any fucking way. I thought I fucked up the audio in that scene, and then I had to remember that that's his fucking text tone sound. His text tone sound is is fucking like a computer noise, like the same stuff that Windows does when it's finished downloading a fucking file. That's where you're going to do it. You're going to fuck me over when I'm trying to get audio for this fucking thing, and I think that I fucked up. Fuck you, movie. Don't do this shit to me. Anyway, it's so ridiculous because, you know, Nimue, she's the one that's spreading the Black Plague. We knew it from the beginning because when she got pissed off and even, you know, Brom said it or Broom or where the fuck his name is, Dad, ye old dad said it, you know, she unleashed the plague on them and now that's what she's doing in Europe. And it could spread easily from England to Europe overnight and basically become a global catastrophe relatively soon. So she's out there trying to kill all the humans in the world. That's great. That's wonderful. Um... And then she shows up at the BPRD and goes downstairs uh, and basically takes dear old dad and uh, takes him to the nearest cathedral. Hellboy and the group come back, find out that he's gone, figure out where they've gone, and they rush over there. And when they go inside, they are met face to face with Pigboy for the first time in Pigboy's final form. That's right, he's gone all fucking super Pigboy, and now instead of having gold hair, he's fucking all buffed up with giant tusks, and him and Hellboy battle. They're throwing each other around, they seem to be relatively even matched, and, you know, Ben wants to get in on the action, but when he gets, like, thrown back at one point, He's about to, like, he, and we saw this earlier when he was under mad duress. He has these, like, syringes that he punctures himself with because something's happening to his body. This time, he decides, oh, fuck it, I'm just gonna let it go. And he turns into Jaguar Man. So, basically, whenever he got clawed by the thing, it was like a weird Jaguar, and now all of a sudden, he becomes it. But he only becomes the Jaguar when he has a big threshold of pain or he's in extreme duress. Which kind of fucking sucks, to be honest with you. You have these awesome powers to boost yourself up, and it's all like a fight or flight type of a response. That's what gets you to turn into whatever you are. So, well, fuck it. This is a fight or flight situation. And so, they go off, and they both start attacking Pigboy. And eventually, it gets to the point where Pigboy actually gets the upper hand. He knocks out, you know, Ben. And he's about to get the final blow on <laughs> Hellboy... But that's when Nimoy steps in, and man, it sucks, but Pig Boy, he, he gets popped. And we also learn a couple other things, like the location of where King Arthur's tomb is. Surprise, surprise, that's going to be right below them. And the ultimate fate of Hellboy's father. Squash your fucking head, no. Uh, you, you red-faced swat. Uh, enough! Your Majesty... Let him go! I dance. We have the deal. I found you. I said all this emotion. 
I was the beginning of it all. And I am the end. <laughs> Forgive me. I needed someone to challenge Hellboy. Push him to the edge. You, you promised! To make you whole again. Powerful beyond compare. For one brief, shining moment. You will. This ain't fair! Oh, you! Yeah, fuck you back. All right. Time to finish this. But I don't want to kill you. We are not enemies. We are bound together by fate. Not this crap again, lady. Some lessons bear repeating. Just think how many spent their lives searching for Arthur's tomb. It's been right here, all along. Go ahead. It's yours by right. You can feel it, can't you? How it calls to you. Stirring the thing, the core of your being. The thing you were tested. You want to kill me, don't you? Pick up the sword. Take it. I don't know what your game is here, but I'm done playing. Very well. Don't worry about me. You do what you have to do and take out this bitch. No. Nimoy, Nimoy, no! Let him go, Nimoy! Let him go! It's me you want! Take me! I already have you. You just don't know it yet. Alright, so what have we learned so far with this little scene? First off, Poor pig boy. Like, I feel really bad for him because he's fucking stupid, right? He should have seen this coming a mile away. She was never going to let him fucking kill Hellboy. Hellboy is there to go. He's like, what are you talking about? This is my moment. And she totally's like, yeah, I promised you what you would get. You got it. If just for a fleeting moment. And then she fucking just pops him like a fucking balloon. Like, shrinks him down all the way to where he was a little kid again. And then basically turns him into a sperm. That's what I'm imagining is happening in this scene. Because she's de-aging him really fucking fast. Taking away all his power and dealing with this shit. Then she goes and unleashes on Hellboy. And they find the tomb of King Arthur just happens to be down the street from where they were hiding out in London. And it's down there and so is fucking Excalibur. So she's still trying to get him to take it. And he grabs it and his hate and his pain is almost enough at this point, to go and grab it, but she he's like, you know what, I can't do this. And she's like, alright, so she brings his father out, and then she fucking just nicks him on the neck, immediately fucking kills him by, like, taking her finger and just ripping out his juggler vein, and that causes Hellboy to go over there, grab the sword, and become 
the apocalyptic demon, then this is probably my second favorite part of this film is when all hell fucking breaks loose. And when I mean all hell breaks loose, I mean the ground opens up and demons just start coming up and there's all these different types of demons and the design of every one of them looks really great. Now you saw some of these in the trailer and originally I thought this might've been like a fever dream type thing. Something weird was just going on with this portion of the movie. But no, it really is the demons coming out because now he is ushering in the apocalypse. And so you see the demons come out on the street. One, there's like this guy that stops and he looks straight at the demon and he freaks out and the demon grabs him and just runs him up and down his fucking sword that he's carrying. Another one has like spikes on its legs or four legs and is walking around with all sorts of different people like stuck to its legs as it's walking around. Another person splits a couple people in half. It's fucking brutal and it's great the way that everything looks the design of every one of these demons is top fucking notch it is absolutely amazing and they do a really good job of blending it in with the whole scene it's all designed to be around that spot this is where they spent most of that budget at least the most of that cg budget that they put into this film is right into these couple of scenes and it's absolutely just fun it's so much fun to watch and i'm like holy crap oh my god wow that's great like i'm so excited for this movie at this point uh, and then we go back <laughs> over to what's going on and she's talking to him and basically trying to still get him like, you are what you are. Come on, be with me. We're going to do what we need to do. And so we see that, um, you know, Alice, she's there. She's managed to get, uh, you know, Ben up and he's okay. She runs over and she dives down where his father has just fucking died. And she's got an idea that think that she thinks is going to help save Hellboy. Meanwhile, Ben, he's loading up the gun with that special bullet and he's getting ready to take aim and fire at Hellboy. And right before he's about to pull the trigger, that's when, guess who shows up out of an astral body and tells somebody to grow a fucking pear. So beautiful. Now you see that we were born to rule together. Arthur was just a man. In his hand, Excalibur was an instrument of death. But in yours, you can build a new world. A better world for all our kind. My lord. This isn't you, Hellboy. You're better than this. Don't listen to this old fool. You were meant for this. She wants to use you. Make you into something you're not. So stop being a whiny little shit and show her she's wrong. Go forth and embrace your destiny. Destroy your enemies. All this bitching and moaning about destiny. Grow a pair. You're a man, and a good one. Act like it. Don't let a prophecy tell you who you are. 
You decide for yourself. He's lying. You are the great beast of the apocalypse. This is the real you. It always has been. Burn out the past. Be rid of the weakness. My king. Okay, I think this is a first. This is a first for this podcast. Where a character in a film has said the exact same thing that I've been saying to another fucking character in a fucking film. Were they in my fucking head when they were writing this? What what, what were they thinking? I'm fucking amazed here. Can you fucking believe this? He actually told him to stop his fucking whining and to fucking grow a pair. Stop being the whiny little bitch that you are, that you've been for the whole fucking movie, and just do the right fucking thing. Oh my god, I think Hellboy's father's my fucking spirit animal. Like, what the hell has happened here? I, I'm just fucking blown away. I, the, the, isn't this what I've been fucking complaining about for the whole time with this character? Why? If even the writers knew that they had to put this in here, that they built the character like this, why? Why do we have to have another character? And especially the father figure, tell him to Fucking man the fuck up. Why? This should not be included, but oh my god, am I fucking happy that it is. So he goes and he really does put together and does the right thing, takes the sword and fucking cuts her head off, and then, you know, puts the sword in the ground, which starts gathering all the demons from all over the, the place. And I guess we're just going to say fuck you to the people that were already killed. Because there's nothing that we can do about it. But they're all going to hell with the demons. Right? They're all getting sucked down there. And then we get the last little bit between Hellboy and his father. As well as a really fucking cheesy fucking joke. And honestly, I like the way that it's delivered in, in this context. Um... And uh, we get what I think would be the end of the movie, but turns out uh, it's not yet. It's over. We are destined for one another. We will meet again on the last day of the ending of the world. <laughs> Lady, quit while you're ahead. No! No! You knew, didn't you, this whole time, this beast inside me, my inner nature, my destiny? So did you. Why didn't you kill me all those years ago? You had a job to protect the world from monsters. I have never, ever regretted the decision I made that night. Dad. Shut up and listen to me. There's things I need to say. I tried to be the best father I could. What the hell did I know about raising a kid? I was a killer and damn good at it. Some beasts deserved it, some didn't. But I did what I believed was necessary. And if I have any chance of growing wings, it's because of you. You changed me. You changed everything. And if there is ever an end in this seemingly forever war, 
It will be because of you and your strong right hand. You are mankind's best and only hope, my boy. Please, please don't go. I'm not ready. Oh, yes, you are. Being your father was the best decision I ever made. I love you, Hellboy. I love you, Hellboy. So even after that, even after the fact that he told him to grow a fucking pair, he still becomes a whiny fucking bitch again. Come on. Why you gotta be like that? Why can't you just be, like, positive at this point? You did it. And she's like, well, what do we do now? Like, look, you did what you were supposed to do. You fucking became a hero. You didn't turn over to the fucking dark side. You did what was right. Would you believe in your heart to be right? And I love that he tells him the things like, look, shut up. You know, the reason that I'm going to be the one that's going to even possibly go to heaven is because of you. Because of what you did. Because I had you in my life. And when he saw him, he knew that he wasn't just a fucking evil little thing and he should have killed him. He felt like he actually had a purpose with him. And that his purpose was to protect this kid and that he needed to reevaluate what he was fucking doing. Like, it's a good little ending thing. Just to have them here, them all get together. We see Alice, she talks with Ben, and you can tell that there's something that might be going on between the two of them now. Like, she's really into it, because she's like, I like cats, and he's like, I prefer dogs, actually. And you get a ha-ha joke, and he does throw away the bullet, because he realizes that, like, he takes out the little vial and throws it, and it bursts everywhere. And he realizes that it was a mistake for him to make it, because even when Alice asks... What's that? He says, well, it was a mistake. Uh, And the fact that he can actually trust his own powers and he can trust Hellboy as well because Hellboy ultimately made the right decision. So there's a little joke about, you know, uh, that Hellboy is king of Britain now, that he's directly descended to King Arthur and all this fun stuff. And it's like, at the same time, I think, okay, well, if you don't end there and you have a little bit of something next, okay, that's fine. But I looked at how much time was left. There's 15 fucking minutes of the goddamn movie left to this point. What the fuck more are we going to get? Well, we get a little bit more, and I think, well, maybe it's just long fucking credits. And that's what we're going to get. And I definitely think that after this little funny little scene, that we're actually going to get the ending credits. But guess what? I'm fucking wrong. Yeah, yeah we're here. Has anybody copied this? Any worthless piece of crap? <laughs> ah, the Atlanta Society. They make Osiris look like Cub Scouts. Christ! Another secret boys club. Bunch of lunatics. What are they doing here? Where's our backup? Ah, come on! Do not sneak up on me like that. Don't you ever stop bitching. I'm glad you could join us. Yeah, okay, come on. Let's get your game face on. It's not something I can just turn on and off like a light switch. Transformation is, is a, an electrochemical reaction to pain and emotional... St- I'm sorry to say, it's a bit more complicated than... Welcome to the BPRD. Yeah, yeah, come on, let's do this. <laughs> Uh, nobody told me there was a dress code. 
So normally that would be the end of the goddamn movie. You got Motley Crue, they're getting ready to come in, they're all dressed up, ready to go. I think Vince Neil's probably sounded the best he has in 30 fucking years. They're all ready to start kickstarting our heart, and it just goes. It basically plays out the whole fucking song. Like, I really think at this point, the movie should fucking end. That is the perfect spot for the movie to fucking end. They all got there. They're all laughing. You know, they're not necessarily a complete quite team yet. You know, or at least Ben's not completely folded into everything. Even though now he's a part of the BPRD. It's just like, it feels like that should be the ending. But no, it's not the fucking ending. In fact, there is one last little Easter egg right before the movie ends. Hey guys, check it out. Ithio sapien. Anyone know what that means? so that was Hellboy. Now that last like five to six minutes felt like the writers or the director or the producers of the film were just like, fuck, we got this one scene fucking left. What are we going to do with it? You know what? We're just going to fucking tack it on to the end of it. I'm pretty sure that everybody want to watch this. We spent a lot of hard time and money and the actors, you know, they were all there. They were doing these awesome fucking stunts and these stuntmen that we haven't been able to use and there hasn't been a proper of all of them together. Yeah, fuck it. Let's just put it fucking in there. Let's do it. Let's give you six minutes of fucking nothing, a filler, a fucking filler. Why the fuck does that need to even be there? Just fucking start the Motley crew. Get them fucking going. They've already tuned their fucking guitars. They're getting ready to come in. Just let it go and trail out and then play your fucking shitty fucking end theme music that you've got there. Oh no, we have to show that Abe Sapien's possibly going to show up because we're going to set up for a sequel if this thing does well. Because we think that this is going to do really well. Because honestly, it's not a bad film. Like, it honestly isn't. There's a lot of shit that I can give it plenty. It doesn't need this last little fucking bit of beating people up and killing more fucking people while Motley Crue's Kickstart My Heart is fucking playing. It doesn't need that. It could have ended at the fucking cathedral right then and there. I think a director's cut probably has it end right there and doesn't even need to speak of Abe Sapien. They could save that. It just, you don't know if you're going to get a sequel. They're already acting, oh, this is going to be so good and a lot of people are going to love it so much that we're going to get a fucking sequel right away. And you know what? They almost made their money back. That's about it. Didn't do as well as the other ones, right? And I feel that part of it is because it's rated R and the other part of it is because people just... They have a, such a connection to the first two that they don't want to see this if it doesn't have Guillermo or Ron Perlman. And in fact, Ron Perlman didn't want to come back because there was no Guillermo del Toro. But maybe that's something maybe he should have done. I don't know. I don't think David Harbour was that bad. But 
you have the beginning of the movie, the first 30 to 40 minutes. I think that a lot of that you can drop. You can cut a good 25 minutes out of it. There you shrunk it. You've made the story a lot more succinct. You've you've gotten everything that you need to do. You've explained the Blood Witch. You've brought her back slowly but surely. And you have a little bit of like small vignettes with Hellboy in different situations. Just bring other parts of the movie. Bring them more into the, the beginning of the film rather than the middle or middle to end parts of the movie. And expand on a couple little things. And I think the movie becomes a better movie in general. Like that's the way that I feel about it. I think David Harbour is really good um, at times. There are times where it's just like, you honestly don't give a shit. Like, I feel like he doesn't have the emotion. And then the whininess of Hellboy just fucking kills me. But when he's snarky and he's in the action set pieces, he's great. The fight that he has with the Giants and the way that reacts to the Giants is fucking hilarious and well done. His fight at the end of the movie with the pig boy... Very well done. Him with Baba Yaga, very well done. Even some of the scenes with the Blood Queen, well done. But whenever he has to talk to his father, who Ian McShane, I think, is a bright fucking star in this movie. That is the character I think that guy has nailed Hellboy's father. Like, hands down, that is my favorite performance in this entire fucking movie. Ben, I could get rid of completely. You don't need Jaguar or Cheetah Man or whatever the fuck he is in the film at all. I feel like it's filler character. Like, it's, <laughs> you know, it's it's being used in there in a way that it doesn't necessarily need to be there, right? Completely just useless. Absolutely useless. A little bit of... If you wanted to get rid of the beginning, you could bring him in to bring a little bit of, like, you know, dissension amongst the ranks or something like that. Or a conflict with Hellboy. Uh, You could do that if you really wanted to. But I really just don't feel like it's important enough to make him a main focus and then, you know, not show off the Jaguar stuff to almost the end of the goddamn movie. Like, make it come and make them actually come together a little sooner there's a lot of things I feel like kind of got passed through a little bit while they were doing this film. Alice, um, I don't know about her. She's in the middle ground. Like, she's important in ways, but I would have liked to have seen a little more of what happened in the past. And maybe even a little more of Pig Boy's reaction at the end of it. Maybe if the fairies did something to him or kicked him out, maybe it would have been great to see. I don't know. Um, and I think she could have gotten a little more screen time if Ben wasn't there. I liked her little ability. It was important to what was going on and definitely was important to the ending of the movie. But again, Ben, he wasn't important at all. I just don't understand why that character's there. Mila Jovovich. Oh boy. Um, there's overacting and then there's fucking Mila Jovovich. Uh, not as bad as Resident Evil movies. Um, and not as bad as, uh, some of the other films that I've seen her in, like Ultraviolet. Uh, but still, it ranks close to that. It's just, again, she's just, she's doing too much, and she doesn't need to, and she's constantly having that wispy type of voice the entire time, but she doesn't look like she's having fun being the bad guy, so, you know, I can't fault her on that. I just wish that she had better direction for her as the bad guy in this film. That's maybe the way I feel. Otherwise, I think the sets are great. I think a lot of the effects are really fun. The action sequences are pretty damn fun to watch. Uh, I love the scene with the demons. And it's something that I feel, you know, 
we could, if there were just some improvements, it could be a really, really good film. So if I have to rate the film, which I always do, uh, I'm going to give the gore in this film a four out of five. It gets really brutal at times and it's pretty good. Uh, that jaw ripping scene is my favorite in this whole thing. And it looks great. And the effect looks pretty cool too. Uh, Crap Factor. I'm going to give it a 3 out of 5. Uh, his child form is a little fucking wonky. A little a bit of the overacting. Characters that are not needed. Uh, you know, even the Hellboy look. Um, you, you know, they just... They did some... He looks so frumpy. He doesn't look as buff as he could. But he looks a little frumpier than he is. And I know he's a lot skinnier in the comics, and he's not, like, completely muscular, but I just feel like <sighs> there's things about him that don't feel right, you know? Um, I just... But there's times where it works really well, and I think it kind of works with the way that the character is being portrayed by David Harper. Um, and then the fun factor, I'm going to give it a 3 out of 5. I think, like I said, the action sequences are really fun. Um, there's, are some great one-liners in the movie. There's a couple times where I chuckled out loud. Um, and there's even sometimes I saw stuff in the trailer and I saw it again and I'm like, it really fits. Like when he gets asked for his ID, I think it's really funny. The facial expression is really good. And you know what? I really like the guy that voiced the pig boy. Um, I thought that he brought a lot of life to that character. And especially at the end when he tells him to fuck off before he dies, I fucking lost it absolutely lost it especially the the comeback is well fuck you too it's fucking great um so overall i'm gonna give this film uh three out of five baba yagas um i think that it has room to improve i think if he was able to if they were ever able to get a sequel with him uh being hellboy again i think that they could make those changes and it wouldn't be as uh muddled and i think it could be shorter that's my problem is it's two hours long and it's honestly about an hour and, let's say, for film time, an hour and 45 minutes. And I feel like that's a little bit too much. Like, they could have cut a good 20 minutes off of it or used those 20 minutes in better situations, just like I said before. So, uh, with that being said, um, you know, I hope you guys enjoyed the the whole thing. And this is a longer one because with this, a longer movie like this, I tend to spend more time on it, especially when I've got more to talk about. Um, if I have to, to it at this point, you know, I've done a lot trying not to compare it. I know I do it a couple times, but if I had to compare this to the previous ones done by Guillermo del Toro, I'm actually going to rank this one equivalent to the original Hellboy. Now you may be upset by that. You know, like what, how could you do that? Well, I think Patrick said it best. If you took Ron Perlman and you put him in this R rated world, along with Del Toro doing the directing. Keep the script similar and keep it as violent as it was and do everything that you did with this. Because this basically is, to me, Hellboy 3. Because this is where he was going towards. He was going towards with Hellboy being the bringer of the apocalypse. And they were starting to talk about it, but in their own way. Whereas with this one, you actually see it for a little bit. Uh, I think that this would have been really cool, especially since... I honestly do think that Ron Perlman is still a better Hellboy. Um, and he was kind of made for the role and he made it his. Um, I 
just I'm not saying that David Harbour's bad and he was a bad Hellboy. He's there's a couple of things they could have done a little differently, and maybe it was acting choices or maybe it was directing choices or writing styles that kind of harpered like harmed not harpered what the fuck am I thinking about but harmed the way that he did Hellboy right. I still think that he's he's perfect for he's not perfect he's good for this film, but I think Perlman would have been better in the role even in this film and the way this film ended up. It would have been really neat. It would have been um, a really awesome sight to see. And I think that with the R rating, they could have gone way past what they've done before with the previous Hellboy movies. So, But I do feel like, story-wise, I kind of got my part three. And while the first one is just an average film, that's where I'd put this one too. And that's the other reason why I'd place it with that. The Golden Army is still... Fucking top-notch and amazing to watch. This is just... It's trying to get there. It's just missing some key elements to be there. Now, what are we doing to end Going to Hell Month? Well, I decided to do something, well, funny. Um, (laughs) And funny is... (laughs) um, To some, uh, it is a... It's subjective... Um, and to others, it could be torture, but, um, yeah, this, and talking with somebody, um, I kind of came up with the idea to do this one, and that's what also kind of triggered the whole going to hell month, because, um, we're gonna look at this film. Meet Nikki. Hello, friend. It's his first day in New York City. After a day like this... Hey, can I ask you something? Most people would pack up and head home. But for Nikki, this is a picnic compared to where he's from. Hell. That's a truck, son. Don't stand in front of that. Well, I'll have to take a mulligan on this one. (laughs) Now... He's giving Earth one more chance. My name is Beefy. I'm an old friend of your father's. And this time, there's someone to show him the ropes. Now, kid, put it in your mouth. Oh, boy. He's starting to feel new things. (laughs) I like it better than the gelati. And even make some new friends. Wrap your minds around this, Chicago. I love this song. Oh my god, Chicago is awesome! <laughs> but the last thing his evil brothers want I'm calling you out, brother! is for Nikki to be happy. You can't make me go back. Of course I can. Forcing him release your evil to find some powers of his own. This Coke tastes like Pepsi. You changed a Coke into a Pepsi. That was your big transformation? That was pretty good for my first try. From the guys who brought you The Water Boy and Big Daddy. How can I win? You have something that he doesn't have. A speech impediment. Adam Sandler. Never doubt my skill. Little Nikki. No, 
Yes! <laughs> I mean, woof, woof. That's right. We're going to look at little Nikki. I know some of you might be like, why? And, and other people are going to be like, why? That's a funny movie. Uh, well, um, it's just something that I thought I would actually do for the podcast at some point, And why not just do it at this point in the podcast? I mean, we just came out of Halloween. I want to do something a little different. I've done something different for the whole month. We have, you know, the continuation of Raimi to a brand new 2019 release uh, that we're watching in Hellboy. And why not do a comedy that may not actually be a comedy? Now, it has been a long, 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 long time since I have seen Little Nicky. Um, and uh, <laughs> it didn't hold up for me then. <laughs> it's probably not going to hold up for me now. So uh, this may be a very fun episode for those that like to see me tortured. So with that being said, um, you know, I want to make sure that everybody goes out there. They follow the podcast. You can follow the podcast on Facebook. Facebook.com slash Terrible Terror Podcast. Okay, boy. The pipes, the pipes are caught. I mean, it's fine, you know. It's like, uh, we get a job done and everything. It's like, I put on a happy face, but it just feels like, I don't know, it feels kind of... I feel free, kid. Professor was a good man. Holy crap. Listen... You probably get this all the time, and I don't. I, I feel like such a jerk doing this, you know. But it's like I'm actually your biggest fan. I I I've read about everything you've done, and even people. Let me stop you right there. Okay. I suppose you want to see the claw. Yeah. Oh my god, it's impressive. Are you telling me? I don't think your old man would want to see you sitting around here moping. No, you're probably right. Got to get back in the fight. Yeah. It's unfinished business. <laughs> okay. Got myself killed. Well, it wasn't your fault. Listen. Yeah. Evil, it's coming. Okay. You won a battle. Now you gotta go kick ass in a war. I do. Okay, alright, okay! Now cut the shit. Buckle up. Get back in the fight. I love you, Lobster Johnson! Okay. Wow. Alright, that happened. What the fuck? Did I just get mid credit stingered right there? What the fuck just happened with this movie? Okay, well, yeah, there was that little scene with Lobster Jumps right there. I'm pretty sure that that's going to be really it. So then, uh, let me see, where was I with everything? Okay, that's right. You can follow us and follow the podcast on Twitter, T underscore T underscore podcast. Uh, Terrible Terror Podcast on Instagram. Don't forget to rate, review, like, do all those fun things on all the podcasting platforms. Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Spreaker, Podbean, wherever you get your podcast. And I really appreciate you guys listening, especially with this one being so long. And we'll see you next time with Little Nikki. Ciao. Mocks me, and I've had enough! Go! Kill Hellboy and bring me his eye! Can you do that? I can. 
than if I do. I will grant you your greatest wish. And that is... I will finally let you die.